Stocks up, yields down, live from New York City this morning. Good morning, good morning. The countdown to the open starts right now. Everything you need to get set for the start of U.S. trading. This is Bloomberg The Open with Jonathan Farrow. Live from New York City, we begin with the big issue. Can the U.S. weather the storm? There's a game of chicken going on right now. Inflation was supposed to be moderating. Now it looks like we're going into extra innings. When I look at the uh, earning analyst estimates, they're still too high. We need to see some of that weakness coming through. That should be the next shoe that drops. We're not going to have a typical V bottom that markets have come to expect. It's more of a, a, a slow uh, car crash. If you really start thinking about what's going on in the U.S. economy, we're in this visibility vacuum that people don't know what to do with. The Fed is trying to hike and crack the economy. This is presenting a real challenge. It is more about the Fed right now than about U.S. growth. It's just this uncertainty just keeps weighing on investors. I think this progress is just taking a little bit longer than we thought. Joining us now to discuss all-star panel to kick off the training week, TPW's Jay Pulowski alongside Invesco's Matt Brill. Jay, first to you, buddy. Let's start with the U.S. economy. Resilient, standing up to abuse from the Federal Reserve. How much longer can it do so? Well, John, you know, we've been a believer in what we call the high nominal growth rate environment. We've talked about it for most of this year. Uh, it's different from what we experienced in 2010 to 2020. A lot of investors are having trouble grappling with it. Basically, it means that with the U.S. economy growing at a nominal rate of 10 percent or so versus, say, four uh, pre-COVID, that earnings uh, and sales growth are going to be okay. The bar is low, 2% uh, consensus earnings growth, and uh, we think it's going to be met and, and cleared easily. And ultimately, at this point in the cycle, that's what we're at. We're at uh, the Fed on one side versus earnings on the other. The Fed is pretty much fully priced in. We're now pricing at a terminal rate of 5%. Earnings are going to be okay. And uh, look, the economy is uh, is growing, probably going to grow 3% Q3. Yes, it will decelerate into 2023, but it's not going to be the deep recession that people fear because there's no big structural imbalance, whether it's consumer, whether it's corporates or banks. It doesn't exist in this cycle like it did in 08 and 01. Matt Brill, your response. Yeah, good morning, John. I, I agree with most of what Jay is saying there. I think, you know, obviously the, the economy can continue to do well here. And the problem is it is really like a big game of Jenga where eventually you move the pieces around enough that, you know, this, that everything is going to come falling down. 
So I think that you know we're at a state where it, it's not too late. You know, the Fed is is on the right path. They've they've been aggressive, and if we can get any signs of moderation in inflation, you know, it's not too late in the game. But if this persists, you get another 75 in November, another 75 in December, another 75. You know, potentially even in, in February of next year, that's when you get to the, uh, you know, the, the, the much more um, difficult period of time for corporate credit. And Matt, what should I be worried about now then? Should I be worried about growth or inflation? <laughs> well, you need to be worried about inflation because if you can get inflation under control, then you won't have a growth problem. And so, you know, if we can just solve the first problem, then another problem won't ever, be, ever get to that point. But as, as long as this goes on, it gets harder and harder to do that. So for now, we we got to get inflation under control. And if we can do that, you know, everybody, you know, we're looking at valuations that are extremely attractive. So we just got to solve this inflation issue. And that's why last week's CPI print was just so disappointing. We'll get to the valuation point in a moment. Let's talk about the solution. Jay, to have a solution that doesn't hammer growth, you need a supply side evolution. Do you see any evidence of a supply side story emerging that helps this Fed out? Oh, 100%, John, and you're right on it. Look, uh, supply chain uh, breakage and, and, you know, collapse and, and, and uh, confusion were really the story of COVID, and that's now cleared up pretty much uh, across the board, whether you look at, you know, ships waiting at ports or container costs coming from Asia. All that's cleaned out and out of the system. So going forward, what we have, uh, we believe over the next several years, is a high nominal growth world driven by a global CapEx boom to deal with the three C's of COVID, climate, and conflict. And we see it in the CHIPS Act. Everybody wants a semi-fab plant in the region. We see it with the battery plants uh, moving the rust belt to a battery belt. Everybody has to have a battery plant for EV uh, in their region. And this is what's going to drive uh, CapEx, and that's what's going to drive growth. I, we see it and we've talked about it ad nauseum as a uh, analog to the second half of the 90s. We expect a productivity surge as we move away from work from home and a pretty decent economic environment over the next several years. Something that, John, virtually no one, well, recently the economists, the FT people were starting to talk about it, but the mindset of the market is nowhere near that. The mindset of the market is back to pre-COVID, which we don't think is it all going to be what turns out? To be fair, Jay, you were hoping for a globalized, synchronized recovery, a global synchronized recovery this year. And, Jay, that hasn't happened. You'd concede that. So can you tell me why you think that may or may not happen in the future? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, I, I think at some point uh, a while back we were talking about that. More recently, uh, the last six months, we've been highlighting actually, John, the desynchronized global economy, both monetary policy Fed and ECB tightening, yes, but Bank of Japan flat, uh, standing pat, in the PBOC of China easing. So we always hear about how many rate hikes there have been. There's no talk of the fact that 50% of the biggest, most important top four central banks are not tightening. And then in terms of growth, U.S. and Europe slowing, yes, but Asia is picking up, whether you look at Japan, PMIs above 50, China or Southeast Asia. China's growth is going to be better in the second half than it was in the first half. So we actually, sorry to maybe uh, to confuse things a bit, but we've been talking about a desynchronized global economy as being a support. And as we come through the cycle, as our, as our other colleague just said, 
we come through the cycle, then we have the U.S. and Europe growing, Asia growing, and we have a global CapEx boom. Because, again, you know our tripolar world point of view. Every region, Europe, sure. Asia, the Americas, needs a semi-fab plant, needs an electric vehicle battery plant. And that public-private investment, which we've seen post-COVID, now post-energy in Europe, that's the type of thing that's going to drive the global economy in the next several years. Jay, you talked about the top four central banks. Three of them have got one thing in common. They're dealing with a weaker currency, and the Federal Reserve is driving a much, much stronger dollar. This is what the president had to say about it. President Biden saying, quote, I'm not concerned about the strength of the dollar. I'm concerned about the rest of the world. Our economy is strong as hell. Mike McKee, the problem is the rest of the world is concerned about the strength of the dollar. Absolutely. Down at the IMF meetings in Washington last week, there were three villains, COVID, uh, the Russians and the dollar. The dollar, a, a side effect of the Fed's inflation fight, but one that is very important to the rest of the world. You can see that strong dollar periods coincide with slow global growth. And there's an IMF report out that says we could see, in a worst-case scenario, just half a percent growth. Now, a global recession is somewhere between 1% and 3%, so half a percent would be very bad news for the rest of the world. The IMF says about 60% of countries out there are in or near financial distress. Now, what happens? Well, the U.S. obviously uh, has higher rates attracting global investment. It's seen as a safe haven for investors, so anything that goes wrong, people want to put their money here, which means the U.S. exports inflation through trade and the world pays more for commodities priced in dollars. So there is a problem out there. There's another problem for the president, though. The strong as hell thing? Maybe not. Today, Bloomberg Economics put out a new report that said the chances of a U.S. recession in 2023 are 100%. You get 60% from the Bloomberg survey of economists and 25% from the New York Fed. But you have to look back at when recessions start, at what level. The New York Fed is basically predicting recessions. So are economists. It doesn't look good for strong as hell as the Fed continues its inflation fight. Biden needs a soft landing. The Fed would like one, but it doesn't look like, at least to the economics profession, that we're going to get one. Mike McKee. Thank you, sir. Let's pick up on that quote again from the President of the United States. I'm not concerned about the strength of the dollar. I'm concerned about the rest of the world. Our economy is strong as hell. There's two points here. Matt Brill, let's go to the first one, and then we'll get to the second one. I'm not concerned about the strength of the dollar. I'm concerned about the rest of the world. What's your response to that, Matt? <laughs> well... You know, the, as for the rest of the world, it's it's you, you've you've obviously got issues going on in in, in Asia. You've got issues in the UK. Um, you know, I think that as far as the the strong dollar, it, it never leads to a good market. It's debatable whether it leads to a good economy, but it doesn't lead to a good market. So, um, we need the mar we need the dollar to get to get hit here. We need the dollar to soften up in order for risk assets to reverse. So, I think um, you know, if you can get the dollar to reverse at all, um, then then you're going to do well. But we just haven't gotten to that point yet. And because, you know, the, the Fed has to keep hiking, which is going to be good for the dollar. So it's, it's a little bit circular here. But, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> I think he's wrong with this, that he should be more concerned about this than he is. Our economy is strong as hell. Now, Matt, I guess it's a relative game. And relatively speaking, compared to others, it may well be. What do you make of that statement? So, so he's absolutely correct. It is 
today. Um, the question, will, will it be there in, in three to six months? And, you know, I, I still think that, you know, it comes down to this inflation expectations. And if you can get things under control, then they are out the curve expectations. You know, we saw this you know, Michigan survey, I know you, you're, you're not a huge fan of it, but <laughs> seeing, seeing, uh, seeing 500 people tell you what they think inflation is going to be over the next year, you know, whether or not that matters, I don't know. But if you look at five-year, five-year forwards, they're certainly under control. So that, that is good. Um, the economy is good now, and it's just the second derivative is starting to take place. Where, so it's increasing at a decreasing rate. Um, I think Biden, you know, he, he's got an inflation problem. He does not have a growth problem. So he's going to tout the growth as much as he can while it exists. And right now, it still is very strong. Matt, you brought up you, Mitch, so we can go there. This is not about me. This show's about you. You, Mitch, one-year inflation expectations, I believe, rose to about 5.1%. Matt, it's not for me to sit here and say, and I think these conversations often, conversations often drift in this direction, sit here and say what the Fed should or shouldn't do, what they should or shouldn't look, like, look at. They tell us they look at you, Mitch. Matt, they tell us they look at the ECI. They've told us they've made moves based on those two prints in the past 18 months as well. What's special about that move, Matt, getting back to 5.1%? What do you think it triggers within the Federal Reserve? Well, I, I think it, it, it does make them certainly cautious. And, they, you know, they're, they're seeing just no signs of victory thus far. And I think that's the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway is that if the Fed looks at at 50 different things and not a single one of them tell them that they're winning, then that's, that's not good. At the end of the day, the market really only cares about the CPI trend, in my opinion. I mean, there, there's going to be others that matter. They're all, they're all, they're all, they're all undercards. The main event is the CPI print, and so we have to wait another four weeks until you get another CPI print. And so, you know, for me, that that's what the market's going to be looking at. The Fed can tell you all these other things, but all we really want to see is some signs that things are getting better, and we just haven't gotten them yet. It was a knockout blow last week. Jay Pulaski, just a final word on this one in this segment. Seventy-five in November from this Fed. Uh, yeah, that's a given, John. Jay Pulaski, Matt Brill sticking with us. I think everyone is on that page right now. Coming up, trouble down in the UK. The Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, ripping up the PM script. There will be more difficult decisions, I'm afraid, on both tax and spending. The most important objective for our country right now is stability. That conversation, up next. Taken together with the decision not to cut corporation tax and restoring the top rate of income tax, the measures I've announced today will raise every year around £32 billion. There will be more difficult decisions, I'm afraid, on both tax and spending. The most important objective for our country right now is stability. This government will therefore take whatever tough decisions are necessary to do so. UK Chancellor Jeremy Hunt scrapping the Prime Minister's fiscal plans as Governor Bailey gets ready for a big rate hike. The very clear message I would give, and it's a clear message for everybody, including it's a clear message for markets, I can tell you there is a very clear and immediate meeting of minds on the importance of stability and uh, sustainability. We will not hesitate to raise interest rates to meet the inflation target. And as things stand today, my best guess is that inflationary pressures will require a stronger response than we perhaps fought in August. 
Team coverage starts right now with Guy Johnson in London alongside Lizzie Bird. And Lizzie, first to you, what a U-turn from this government. Yeah, Jeremy Hunt's absolutely nuked Trussonomics here. You've had massive U-turns, more U-turns on even more of her tax cuts. And almost as humiliating, the energy bailout has been uh, limited. So it's now going to be reviewed in April. It's going to be more in line with other European governments. Of course, it was really expensive. It was going to cost £60 billion estimated in the first six months. And what's humiliating about that is that even when Trust was having to U-turn on the top rate of income tax, corporation tax, she taunted Keir Starmer, the opposition Labour Party leader, that her energy bailout was bigger than his. Uh, and now she's kind of admitting that she's going to have to have a more targeted package so that businesses and rich households aren't having their energy bills paid for unnecessarily. The question is, do middle-income households who needed help uh, become the baby that's thrown out with the bathwater? But notably missing from all of this uh, was a reversal on the lifting of the cap of bankers' bonuses. Uh, so we'll have to see whether that's mentioned when Jeremy Hunt makes his statement in the Commons uh, later on this afternoon. We hear from him later this afternoon and then later on this month as well. And Guy, in early November, we hear from the Governor of the Bank of England in the decision we expect to be another big rate hike. Kit Juice of Sogen said, goodbye crisis, hello recession. Guy, the vigilantes win. In some ways, they do. Um, Westminster is now basically uh, being dictated to by the gilt market, by the city of London. Interesting relationship, considering uh, we have seen that trade very much working in the other direction for a very long time. That, that's the trade right now. The Bank of England, if you look at current pricing, John, we have come back down. Um, to probably probably circa uh, around 100 bips at the next hike. Uh, we are probably going to get up to around five to six, somewhere in the middle. Let's call it five and a half in terms of the terminal rate. It may need to be higher. What is interesting from the, uh, from the Chancellor today is he's gone further than maybe the fiscal hole would suggest that he needs to, suggesting that there has been some damage done and he's talking about having to go even further. It's a wholesale reversal. I agree with Lizzie uh, that the energy story is going to be an interesting aspect to all of this. And the bank will have to think about that as well because that's going to limit the, um, the demand story coming out of the UK at the moment. It will hit consumers into next year when this programme yep. starts to roll off in April. So that's going to have to be factored now back into the Bank of England's thinking on how far ultimately it can go. Guy, I wonder if there's a difference between what the government wants to signal right now and what they're actually intending to do. Do you get the sense that they said April 2023 because they want to signal maybe a tighter approach to fiscal policy over the next several months, but they're fully intending to revisit that in the months to come? I think facts will dictate that, John. We'll, we'll wait and see how tough this winter is. Uh, we'll wait and see what the situation looks like at the beginning of the next year. They have written a, a very big open check to the energy market, like so many governments have done around Europe. Uh, I suspect that this may give them actually a little bit more flexibility in terms of their ability to manage that process uh, and be able to deal with what happens next year. Um, I was talking to Maria Tadeo just a moment ago. She was talking about the fact that European politicians, they can't think beyond this winter. They, 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 yeah. they know that there could be a problem further down the road, but at the moment, 
we just need to manage what is happening here and now. Let's see what the picture looks like in April. Maybe they do need to continue with it, maybe they don't. It's a huge problem. Lizzie, Guy, what a couple of weeks for you guys, the two of you. Thank you. Matt Brill, the Bond Vigilantes are back, and Kit Jukes of Sockgen says the Bond Vigilantes win. I have to say, I've mentioned this a couple of times over the last couple of weeks, I can't remember a big change like this off the back of a market move in G7. In fact, maybe you've got to go back to Berlusconi and the Italian government and the Eurozone debt crisis when he got toppled. What do you make of this, Matt? The fact we've got the bond market, the pressure is back from the market to politicians in a way that it's been absent for much of the last 10 years. Yeah, it's, it's great for the longer term, absolutely, for fixed income. Um, it feels nice to ha have a win in, <laughs> in the fixed income camp for once this year. Um, but, you know, if you look, you know, related to the U.S., you know, at some point here, there's going to be discussion on what, you know, where, where the U.S. stands fiscally and, and do they need to be, you know, tightening their belt. And, and I think this takes that off the table of somebody coming through with a very large tax cut or a very large spending increase. I, I think the bond market it, it doesn't have to do this in the U.S. because of what you've seen in the U.K. Um, so hopefully we can avoid some volatility down the road because I think this is this is the power that, that, that politicians need to see. And I, I think it's very healthy for the long term of the bond market. Matt, I heard from several people in the last month or so that USIG was getting pushed around by what was happening with the pension industry and the crisis in UK markets. Any truth to that, Matt? And what does it mean now that the UK Chancellor has come out and done what he's done? Yeah, it, it did. And, and, and in the simplest form, there, there wasn't enough long-duration assets for UK pensions to buy. So they used some synthetics in order to do it. That caused leverage. And then they got offsides on that. Um, so what they had also bought, though, because they couldn't buy it in the UK, was they bought long-duration assets in the US. And so they were buying long-duration corporate credit. And they had to sell it. And it was one of the few things they could actually get liquidity on in a short period of time. So um, we were seeing massive uh, VWICs coming out, portfolio trades that were being done billion dollars at a time um, that were the market or the dealers just weren't ready for and they didn't want to absorb it. So it really put a lot of pressure on corporate credit. Once we've got a little bit of reprieve um, over there, it's, it's, it's helped us. So, you know, for now, we've got 99 problems, but, but guilts aren't one of them. But it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's finally to the point where you know, we, we're not selling off because of them. In fact, you got a 40 basis point plus move in long end gilts today, um, which is, is not healthy or not normal. But, you know, we'll take it for today. We just want some stability out of there and then we can get back to trading where we think we should be on our own merit. I'm not sure Jay-Z thought he was getting a shout out in the, <laughs> in the corporate and sovereign debt market this morning. Jay, I want to finish on Europe with you. You and I have talked about it together for so, so long, so many years. Guy's point on tightening up the duration of assistance to offset the pain in the energy market, and now it's only going to April 2023. Jay, the commitment of these governments in Europe to support the electorate through a difficult time, are you worried about the duration of it, considering this is going to go on potentially for more than one winter? No, not at all, John. Look, we're big fans of what's happening in Europe, and I think part of the issue for the UK is... Uh, you know, life uh, post-Brexit is not easy. It's a small economy. It's a relatively unimportant economy. It's on its own. And it suffers as a result when it makes a policy mistake and markets react. It's really been what we call, uh, we called it two weeks ago, a tempest in a teapot. For Europe more broadly, look, they, all this is driving further integration. Now you're talking about Europe uh, doing a unified 
missile defense shield. I mean, things that were unthinkable even two years ago. So we continue to be very constructive on Europe on a medium-term basis. Anybody with strategic uh, money to deploy over a three, five-year basis, Europe is trading uh, the currencies 40 percent uh, cheap. Uh, stocks have never been cheaper versus the U.S. Um, you know, integration is uh, progressing apace. They have more fiscal support than the U.S. It's already uh, pre-baked and is going to continue. Um, and look, I think we're moving towards a Europe that issues debt in its own uh, as a unified union. And as that happens, that's very constructive for the euro. That's very constructive for fiscal responsibility within Europe. And uh, I think, uh, you know, to me, Europe, I said it before, and I'll, I continue to believe it, Europe has a chance to win the decade of the 2020s, uh, particularly Jay. when you look at Asia and uh, where the U.S. is. I've got to yes, frame sir. what you just said. With Please do. I've said it many times and I continue to believe. Of what's happening in <laughs> Europe. Jay Pulaski, I'll frame it and then we'll replay it in a few months' time. Jay Pulaski, Matt Brilter, two of you. Buddy. You want two years, you can have a couple of years. Coming up the morning calls and later, Bank of America, the latest report results, that conversation with Ken Leon of CFRA and PIMCO's Erin Brown just around a corner. from New York City. Here are the morning calls. First up, JP adding TJX to its analyst focus list, saying the retailer historically outperformed during economic downturns. Morgan Stanley upgrading Clorox to equal weight, expecting margins to rebound as pricing pressure starts easing. And finally, Credit Suisse downgrading Fox to neutral, seeing an unfavorable backdrop amid growing recession risk. That stock is down by more than 5%. Coming up, more earnings from the big banks. PIMCO's Erin Brown recommending investors raise cash and remain defensive. That conversation up next, the opening bell just around the corner. Four seconds away from the opening bell in New York City this morning. Good morning to you. Futures are positive, really kicking higher. Session highs up 1.8% on the S&P. On the Nasdaq 100, up by about 2.4%. On the rough sort of small caps, up by two full percentage points. Off the back of a week of losses, looking to kick off Monday morning with a session of gains. Switch on the board and get to the bond market. There's your opening bell for equities. Yields are lower by eight basis points on a 10-year, 393.85 over the previous 11 weeks. Yields have been climbing on a 10-year for 11 consecutive weeks, on a two-year for six. Unreal moves in this bond market, twos all the way right out through the curve. In the FX market, euro subbing some strength, euro dollar up six-tenths of one percent, 97.84, and crude, 86.70, up by around about 1.26 percent, 
this morning. One stock to watch, Bank of America positive in early trading by about five full percentage points. For more on this, let's get to Bloomberg's Shanali Basak. Hey, Shanali. Good morning, John. You're looking at Bank of America stock absolutely soaring early in trading, and it's because they're delivering above expectations on net interest income. And even though costs for the year are a little higher than expected, investors are showing you if you make money, you can spend some money. And so what does that mean? Headcount has increased slightly as well uh, by the thousands, as it has in many of the other firms. But you're also seeing them say that they don't have plans right now for reduction. So again, welcome news. They're trying to stay competitive. They're seeing the consumer quite healthy here. You're also seeing thick inequities meet or beat expectations. And so trading coming in above expectations, even some weakness being seen there in some credit and mortgage products. How that fares tomorrow for Goldman Sachs is of key interest because we're going to want to see them punch high on equities after what we saw at Morgan Stanley and JP Morgan kind of missing expectations there and fixed income coming in strong across the board. Shifting over to Goldman Sachs, of course, that big news this morning about another reorganization around the corner. They have their earnings tomorrow as well. Key changes being unwound. They're merging again asset and wealth because the wealth customer, of course, has a slightly different profile. But consumer banking businesses will be in a bit of a separate region here in the bank. Uh, platform services area being created at the bank run by Stephanie Cohen, according to Bloomberg's reporting. So the big key question here is fine. You have a reorganization at play. But what will this mean for the high hopes that David Solomon has hoped to hit $4 billion in consumer revenue by 2024? They're expected to meet $2.3 billion this year. Will he change his expectations as he addresses analysts tomorrow is the key question. Shanley, what am I more interested in tomorrow, their numbers or the man delivering them? the man delivering them and it's not just the man himself this is year four of his tenure john we're getting very very close to year five of his tenure this is the part of the history here for david solomon where you start to take note they've come in above expectations on returns on equity consistently their bank however is trading below book value how does he get the multiple that many of his rivals are getting is the investment bank simply not enough for goldman sachs to give investors what they want Shanali, looking forward to your coverage through tomorrow. Shanali Bassett will be on with us on Bloomberg Surveillance. We break down those numbers for you. Sticking with us on the banks is Ken Leon of CFRA. He joins us now. Ken, was fortunate to catch up with you last week. We get to do it again this morning. Just your view on Goldman, the leadership, the direction of travel as we go into tomorrow numbers. Yeah, so um, analysts are still listening to Bank of America, but top of mind is Goldman Sachs. Um, and, and for Goldman, you know, I really think James Gorman and Morgan Stanley has a chuckle here. He's got the right strategy. Goldman just reached too far trying to get scale from nowhere in consumer banking. And obviously that has a good long-term opportunity, but they can't bring it to revenues or profitability. Uh, Gorman, of course, acquiring E-Trade gets the workforce. They're able to get into different segments of wealth. And the market, as Chanelli mentions, pays a higher multiple for principal businesses or recurring revenue. And unfortunately, investment banking is going to be challenging through next year for Goldman and others. And they're essentially combining businesses with trading so that they can begin to cut costs. 
So, Ken, what are you saying? Are you saying it's the wrong strategy? Are you saying they should have brought this? They shouldn't have done it organically? Does Marcus need to go? Ken, what are you saying they should do? So, so Goldman is always a, a brilliant best-in-class, but they basically have an agency businesses, and they see others like BlackRock or Schwab or even Blackstone enjoy the benefits of scale and recurring revenue in a very cyclical business, which will be down through next year is investment banking. They don't have the number one wealth business as Morgan Stanley has, or the broad scale that Bank of America has in commercial and consumer lending or JP Morgan. We have buys on Bank of America and Morgan Stanley. We took Goldman Sachs from a strong buy down to a hold over a month ago, just feeling that the agency business is just not going to come around. And it's a big leap to say that you can, you know, have a slightly higher rate to a consumer that's a spender or a, a saver, but not yet an investor for the long-term trend. And that was a really a tough strategy. Ken, Bank of America right now is up by more than 5%. Can I just ask you, for these big banks like B of A, are higher interest rates good or bad for them in the next 12 months? Yeah, we stay with Bank of America because, as you know, essentially, if you have a large, high-quality loan book, you can sit back and enjoy rising rates. But obviously, the risk is any cracks or severe recession next year. We will have recession if it's not severe. Uh, what Bank of America said is we're going to add another 1.25 billion of net interest income in the fourth quarter. So that's that was always part of the bull case, which was rising rates. But you you know, unfortunately, next year economy is going to slow down, and that makes it a little more tenuous. And then the capital markets. You know, we like, and I think a lot of portfolio managers like regional banks over the large banks yeah. because of geopolitical risk and also underperforming in investment banking. Ken, what we're used to in a recession is a central bank cutting interest rates. And when we backtest and look at how these banks respond to downturns in economic growth, usually that's supplemented by interest rates being cut at the Federal Reserve. Ken, have you given thought to a cycle where we get a recession, the Fed doesn't cut, and what that actually means for the banks this time around? So they will then be part of a, perhaps you know, a, a new bull market or a recovery of the economy, and we're not there yet. And you know, there's a generational rise of inflation. Many investors have not been around since we've seen the 1970s or 80s, and the Fed's credibility is at line. Uh, so I think, you know, we're looking at 75 basis points in November, maybe December, and, uh, you know, that's the challenge. I, I think a lot of us hope that the Fed will ease, but, you know, there's a lot more work to be done. And unfortunately, uh, that's not great for the financial sector or banks until we see them pause. Ken, awesome to hear from you this morning. Thank you, sir. Ken Leon there of CFRA. Bank of America, positive by 4.7%. A broader story, six or seven minutes in. We're up, up and away on the S&P 500, up by 2.5%. On the Nasdaq, up by 3% and some. PIMCO's Erin Brown says stay defensive. She writes the following. Companies have to navigate an extremely difficult environment where demand is slowing, fading, and cost pressures persist. 
this threatening margin contraction. We are underweight more cyclical sectors and favor high quality companies at reasonable valuations. Erin joins us right now. Erin, thank you for your patience as we work through the financial stuff. Let's get to the equity market. Big move higher. Are you saying you'd fade this? I absolutely would fade it. I think that the market right now is just coming off of, you know, very strong weakness over the past week. We see a little bit of a relief rally this morning, but I wouldn't extrapolate that this is, you know, going to last a very long time. I still think that there's significant challenges ahead as we turn the corner into early next year that the market hasn't digested yet. Earnings estimates are too high, margins expectations are too high, and I don't think that equities are still, you know, singing the same from the same hymn book that we see in the fixed income markets. You saw a very negative reaction last week on the CPI print and, and sort of follow on into Friday. Um, and, and I think what you're seeing is that the market is still fearful of higher inflation and still believes that higher inflation is going to you know, lead to or accelerate a recession. And I think that that's the challenge that the market's still facing that we, you know, we'll, we'll see unfold over the next couple of months. So I still think that there's about 10, 10% downside from current levels to S&P 500. Erin, in the near term, is there some upside at all? In the very near term, because Mike Wilson and Morgan Stanley shares your view, ultimately, that there's more downside here and maybe we could get down to 3,400. But he wrote this this morning. He said the 200-week moving average is a serious floor of support until companies fully confess or a recession officially arrives, both of which could take several more months and lead to a technical rally in the short term. Erin, you give me your fundamental thesis. What about your more technical, tactical thesis about the short term? The scope for an upside move here? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that there's scope for upside move. A lot of people are pointing to that 200-day moving average. On top of that, earnings expectations for this quarter are quite muted. Um, there's only, you know, sort of low single-digit earnings expectations. While earnings have been coming in slightly weaker than expected, you know, the bar isn't that high. And so, you know, going into what typically is a very strong seasonal quarter, which is the fourth quarter, and into, you know, a, a fairly muted earnings season, there's certainly potential for upside. But, you know, it's hard to time that, and I would be fading or selling into any of that upside move that you see in the market on what I think is, is largely a technicality. What's going to lead you to drop your neutral stance on duration away from the equity market, Aaron? I think we're getting closer to that point. I think you really need to see a couple of things happen to get more bullish duration. The first would be to see inflation really peak and have a credible path lower for inflation. You know, there's been sort of three times now where we've had these head fakes with respect to inflation peaking, and yet we've been met with disappointment. And so I think until we see credible signs that inflation is really moving lower, it's going to be hard to really, you know, put your neck out there and buy duration and size. But given the valuation levels, given these real yield levels that we're seeing today, it is arguably a pretty attractive alternative to other asset classes. I mean, if you think about it, historically, your starting point for yield today 
is what the market should bear over the next 10 years or so. So given you know, the starting point of 4.4% on, on the two-year and, and just below 4% on 10 years, that's a pretty good return that you're getting from cash and, and duration yep. over the next 10 years, albeit with volatility in the near term. Aaron, just a final question on that. I hear a lot of people say raise cash, stay defensive. With the benefit of hindsight, that's super useful 12 months ago. Erin, there's people watching this now who just don't want to monetize the losses this deep into the hole. How do they raise cash? I mean, I think that we're still going to see downside from equities from here. So I think taking money here uh, out of the market and putting it in a 4% you know, two-year paper still makes sense. Um, and, and I think that you know, alternatively, looking at high investment-grade corporates, that are also yielding, you know, a 6%, 7% yield also makes sense, staying, you know, shorter term in duration. But if you expect more downside from here, yes, it's painful. Use that to tax, har harvest, tax loss harvest and, you know, cycle that money back into products that can earn a sustainable yield and return over the next 6 to 12 months while you wait it out. Erin, awesome to hear from you, as always. Erin Brown there of PIMCO. Your equity market about 11 or 12 minutes into the session, up by 2.8% or so on the S&P. Big move higher on the Nasdaq, up by 3.33%. Coming up, the White House throwing its support behind the Fed. The big concern is can they bring down inflation while maintaining a robust uh, uh, economy, labor market. We are starting to see signs that the actions they are taking is having an effect. That conversation up next, plus we'll catch up with Oppenheimer's John Stolfus. His S&P 500 price target getting chopped, chopped, chopped from 4,800 down to 4K. We'll get to him next. This is Bloomberg's The Open. I'm Angel Feliciano. You're looking at a live shot of the principal room. Coming up, Anabatin Banco Santander Executive Chair. That conversation is at 12 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. in London. This is Bloomberg. What we can see in the economic data is the Fed is focused on bringing down inflation. And the big concern is can they bring down inflation while maintaining a robust uh, uh, economy, labor market. And we are starting to see signs that the actions they are taking is having an effect. Division down in D.C., there always is. The Biden administration back in the Fed saying its policies are starting to work. Senator Bernie Sanders seeing a different picture. I think they're hurting the situation. I think that it is wrong to be saying that the way we're going to deal with inflation is by lowering wages and increasing unemployment. This inflation thing is a real issue. It is a global issue. But at a time when working families are struggling and the people on yeah. top are doing phenomenally well, I don't think you go after working people. Mike McKee with us here in New York City. Mike McKee. The usual suspects may be Senator Warren, Senator Sanders, but ultimately we're expecting more of this, aren't we? Yeah, uh, it's starting to be a debate in economic circles as well as people start to think about what could happen. It's not happened yet, but Bernie Sanders has some support, uh, particularly among progressive economists. Claudia Sam, you've heard of her. She's uh, uh, fairly grumpy about things. <laughs> right now. She says the world's bad and will worsen at home and abroad before it gets better. Time for the Fed to do the right thing 
and slow down. Uh, is the Fed going to do that? Well, not what they're telling us. It does suggest, I mean, in the past, that there is a danger of what Bernie Sanders and Claudia Sam are talking about, because when the Fed raises interest rates, unemployment goes up, we go into recession. The Fed so far raising interest rates, though, and it hasn't happened, and that's the dilemma for the Fed. They believe that people are better off if they bring down inflation, even at the lower end, because while people are making more money, they are not making enough to keep up with inflation. So if inflation comes down, then everybody is better off. And so that's the goal for the Fed going forward. They're going to watch the unemployment rate, but they think it'll only go to 4.4 percent. That isn't very much by historical standards, and it may be about normal. We may have a tighter labor market than people think. So it's something that has to play out over uh, many months now, but it is definitely a growing debate, uh, particularly down in Washington. We're going to have this conversation a whole lot more going into the midterms, no doubt, in the next couple of weeks. Mike McKee there here in New York City. And great work, Mike, last week in D.C. More bulls throwing in the towel, kinder. And they're going to get to the kinder in a moment. But up on Amos John Stolfus was at 4,800 year-end. He's chopped that down to 4,000. It's now... His price target now is 4,000 year-end, and I'm happy to say that he's given us a bit of time this morning to talk about it. John, great to catch up, sir. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. So let's start here. You know, I've yeah. talked about this a few times over the last few months. What was the straw that broke the camel's back on this one? I, I really think it, it, it has simply been that we have seen repeatedly these rallies that we've had that have been remarkably powerful based on the negativity that's out there. And then they weren't sustainable. And it simply weren't sustainable because uh, the issues at hand, whether it's monetary policy, uh, a generally more aggressive stance uh, and, and, uh, and committed stance by the Fed uh, to uh, uh, curb inflation, uh, as well as uh, political dysfunction in Washington and abroad, uh, the geopolitical stuff. Uh, supply chains that won't uh, are still not quite up to to pre-pandemic levels. All this, you know, uh, gives pressure uh, uh, and concern to the market. So what we've got to think is, you know, 12 percent upside from here to the end of the year makes a lot more sense than almost 33 percent upside based on where the S and P closed on Friday. So we're still bullish on equities. It's just going to take more time until the Fed. Uh, has has effect on curbing inflation because uh, those last numbers from last week, the 30-year uh, yield, uh, the 30-year mortgage yield last week going up again, just doesn't look like uh, uh, it's had effect yet. We believe it will have effect, but not yet. John, you and I have talked about this and discussed it through the year. You know, not everyone gets the year right. That's just part of the game sometimes. But, John, you got it dead wrong. And I just wonder what you feel like you did get wrong and didn't learn from quickly enough. As you reflect well, on I, this year and think about the years to come, how will you and the team grow from it? Well, the, the first thing I, I'd remind you, uh, John, we, we've been pretty accurate over the, uh, most of the 10 years that I've been here at Oppenheimer since 2012 in terms of the direction of the S. S&P 500, except for 2015, 2018, and this year. So not, not a bad uh, record. And last year, our target was 4,700. The S&P closed at 4,776, as I recall. This year, we got it wrong very simply. We could not have expected 
the Russians' incursion into Ukraine, uh, zero COVID tolerance uh, by China that closed down uh, uh, the city of Shanghai, a city of 25 million people, plus the effects of overstimulation uh, by the Fed and by uh, politicians who just yeah. couldn't let go of the fiscal policy. The reason I asked, John, is because 2015 was a down year. 2018 was a down year. Yeah, but, and what worked last yeah, year was just being... Flat. What worked last year was just being but, bullish and strong. And what worked for the last decade was to be bullish and strong. And, John, I just wonder if we'll all adapt into a new market regime, a real change. Well, the, the big regime is it's the end of free money. And the end of free money means you're deleveraging in a wide variety of areas that have uh, inflated the valuations of things like meme stocks, cyber currencies, uh, as well as even core assets like equities, bonds, real estate, uh, and a number of other assets. Uh, when you take out the leverage that uh, the Federal Reserve has enabled and the largesse of politician stimulus, uh, it, it means that uh, things become uh, moved back to reality. It doesn't mean stocks can't move higher. It doesn't mean companies can't earn money, but there's a period of, of adjustment that we've witnessed here that is taking longer. Uh, you know, when you look at the Fed, the Fed has raised, what, five times so far? Uh, and still has had very little effect on the rate of inflation. And uh, that's where we are. The market's responding to that. John, 300 basis points in six months is a lot. Oh, we've sure had a lot, we've had a lot done in a small period of time. I get that. But I just want to really sort of hit home on this. And you and I can talk about it in the future as well because we don't have too much time. Sure. But being married to a worldview in the last 10 years generated some real gains. And if you were just long the whole decade, you would have been down in... 15, it was a down year. 18, it was down year. Now I feel was like basically flat. Sure, it was a flat was year, slightly negative by about seven tenths of one percent. actually positive. We can okay, argue yeah. over the details, John, but you know where I'm going with this. Right. I'm just wondering whether the permabulls have got to rethink their worldview based on what's happened over the last nine, ten months. I'd say we, we were not permabulls, but rather we were just we were positive on a pretty obvious situation. In terms of moving forward, we'd think past performance uh, would, no guarantee of future performance, would suggest that once the market gets used to this new regime of a world in which bond issuers have to pay for the privilege of borrowing money yep. and bond buyers get paid for the risks they take, and that moves through the credit facilities, of course, affects equity returns. Uh, the market is likely to return uh, to uh, a more uh, uh, positively adjusted basis. You know, I've been doing this for 39 years, so I can remember where interest rates were a lot higher than they are now. Bonds were yielding yields much higher than now, and stocks were moving up. Hey, John, credit to you for coming on with us this morning. I appreciate you know that. And we're going to have a longer conversation in the future. John, thank you, sir. John Starfus there of Oppenheimer from New York. This is Bloomberg. Audio Jumps. Welcome back to the Project Alchemy podcast. I'm your host, Namish, and today we're speaking with Zahir Muhammad. 
He's a fashion designer, model, director, and musician. In this episode, we're talking about the intersection of creative pursuits and how you can take elements from one discipline and apply it to the other, putting yourself out there, and creating a process that works for you. He's an incredibly creative individual, and Jack and I learned a lot from this conversation. Welcome back, everyone, to the podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Namish. And I'm Jack. Zaheer, uh, welcome to the podcast. We're super excited to talk to you today. Um, everyone heard your intro already, um, but we do want to reiterate some parts. So you're a model involved with fashion design, a chess competitor, a director, and a musician. Um, why did you decide that this specific combination of endeavors was the fit for you? Um, that's funny. First of all, thank you all for having me again. Um, it's funny. I would say I didn't necessarily plan for it to happen like that. They sort of, um, all came together. Um, the way I look at art, I look at art very holistically. Um, a lot of people take individual roots and they hone in on that one individual path that they take, which is not bad at all. Um, but I was always like taught to look at things as a whole. So I look at music and visual art and uh, painting and all of these types of things. They relate. You just have to find the way that they relate to each other. So started playing chess and then I started doing visual art and like the way that in chess you have to think before you move and I'm an engineering major so the way that you have to you know plan out things and relate chess to engineering and then you know your day-to-day outfits right you have to plan out how the colors match and how the textures relate to each other so then that connected to that and then I was like wait I want to be a model so then so all of these things are sort of built on each other um and they continue to connect and I went from modeling to thinking wait I kind of want to use the analytical side of my brain that I've used previously for chess and engineering so I want to start directing stuff so I started like directing and that came with Project Innovate Studios which is the fashion collective that I founded and then um that came also with directing film And then I was like, I love music, so why not start trying to make music and integrate my love for visual art into music? And then all of those things came together. Um, And I'm actually working on another project, um, which is a little bit more vocal from my perspective as opposed to the last project. And so that's another sort of evolution in my art, which is my vocal expression. So... um, I would say they've all have just come from connecting to an aspect of myself and being that I've looked at it holistically and tried to connect it as genuinely as possible to myself. It's happened to fit me like a glove. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah. I'm super curious. So you have a lot going on and especially as a college student, as an engineering major college student, um, how do you manage that time? Uh, just being organized, planning stuff out. Um, I planned a lot of stuff for this fall semester, like in the spring and summer. So like a lot of my trips, a lot of my um, intersections between possible busy weeks, 
uh, academically and artistically. I like planned all that out throughout the summer. Um, and it sort of helps me to balance, um, but also hone in on one or the other when necessary. Um, and so I've been able to do that. Um, trying to think, is there anything else outside of that? I think, fortunately, I have certain talents when it comes to academics that allow me to uh, get to, to handle things a little bit easier. Like, I have a photographic memory. So, like, with chess and, like, engineering, it helps to make things easier um, to where, you know, I'm not necessarily doing the grueling studying all night long. Um, so certain little tips like that help me to manage time better and, and balance them out a little bit more. And then kind of backtracking more into your holistic life here, when it comes to all these various interests, like, did they all pop in, like, some of them when you were a child, some of them later in life, you just said, like, kind of recently you added more filmmaking and directing because you were directing because you realized that fit into your analytical and creative mind but when it came to the other ones like what time period of your life do they fit in and how did you find those interests in the first place okay um well i started learning how to play chess when i was two so uh that started from the beginning um and that sort of laid a groundwork i would say um, for everything else because that was from the beginning. Um, from that, I would say, I mean, obviously I've listened to music since I was really young, so um, that became uh, a part of it. It's interesting, though, you listen to, when you're someone that listens to music versus someone that creates music and impacts music, you listen in two different ways. So as a child, I listened to music um, from a very uh, offhanded admiration sort of way. Like, wow, I'm a huge fan. Like, I really love listening to this music. I really love these artists. Um, and I, say, I would say it's developed along with the other skills and traits that I mentioned to a more, like, impactful listen. Like, I'm listening so that I can create something of my own. I'm listening so that I can impact this with the skills and talents that I have. Um, so the, the music started from a young age, but how I listened to the music and how I applied it to my own life changed over time, as well as everything else. So like the film, like I always loved film. I always loved movies and how things were shot, but I didn't look, I didn't watch them or I didn't, study them as someone that was doing it on my own. I studied it as, as an admirer from afar. Um, so definitely I would just say my, the way that I use these things changed over time and not necessarily it wasn't just like I was stumbling upon these things as they came. It was just like I have all of these things inside of me and I'm going to pull them out of me in, in a different way now. Um, one of the main things that someone once told me was like when you want to find an answer to something or you want to start doing something at a better level the first place you look is like inside of yourself and so that's really how I pulled a lot of these things out it wasn't from like 
uh, outsourcing. It was really just looking inside myself to things I already like or things I already do or things that already come easily to me. Um, and then, you know, incorporating them into my new ways of thinking. Yeah, 100%. Going off of that uh, part that you're talking about really seeing inside of yourself, um, our next question for you is going to be, what scares you right now? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Um, I have always been scared of um, not reaching my potential. That's that's what scares me. Um, which is different from failure, because failing is a good thing. Like failing, that happens. That if you're not failing, generally you're not going as far as you could. Um, but I know that with the skills that I've been blessed to have and the people that I've been blessed to have around me, I think I have a lot of potential when it comes to how I can figure out to put all these things together and reach an end goal. Um, and I'm scared of not reaching that somehow. Um, and so I think that keeps me up at night. Like that keeps me working as far as I can or like doing as much as I can, or traveling as much as I can, going to every opportunity that I can um, because I, I want to reach that potential. It's funny, there was one time where I, I, there's only been one time where I felt like I haven't gone as far as I could, and I, like, kicked myself over that, uh, still. What was that one time? Um, so, Pharrell hosted the Something in the Water Festival in D.C. this year, um, and I was there, and he had, like, a private event, um, where him and these other musicians hosted a panel and they were talking about like art and the influence of art in the community. And I, I managed to get into the event and I had told myself beforehand, I was like, okay, if you get into this event, this is exactly what you're gonna do and you have to do exactly this and you have to act like this and then you have to like find a way to get backstage. And when you get backstage, you have to stand right. Like I had planned everything out and it was, it was my birthday weekend. So my birthday was the day after this, this thing. Um, and so I get there, and everything goes how I planned it, like, everything. And I'm, like, right in front of Pharrell. Like, I'm in the first two rows, and like I'm listening to him talk. And it's really cool, and I um, I was making connections with a lot of people, so I found a way to get back into the back room with all, like, the important people that were there. And I'm standing next to the door. Like, the door is, like, the same way that briefcase is right behind me, the door is like right next to me. And he walks out like right in front of me. And he's just standing in front of me. Now, mind you, like the, the outfit that I had on was like a cardigan kind of thing. It was Tyler inspired, I guess. Um, it was like a cardigan and some cargoes and stuff. So he get he looked me like up and down and I'm standing right there. And Throughout the, it was like probably about the next 10 minutes, he was walking around shaking people's hands, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I was like, I didn't say anything. And it was a lot of people in the room. Um, so it wasn't as easy as, okay, we're just sitting talking. It was more like I would have had to insert myself. But at the end of the day, like that, it, it's, that's never been hard for me. 
that was the only time that it was like I was like I was nervous um and I think that after when he walked out the room uh like 10 minutes later I was like kicking myself like I was so I was just like ah like that's not gonna happen again basically um but I you know I ended up meeting some nice people and making some nice connections and got some passes for something in the water um but that was one instance where I feel like I didn't do everything I could have in that situation. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the experience and I know it'll come back around. Do you ever feel like you wanting to push yourself and get to your potential all the way might accidentally negatively impact other parts of your life, like relationships and the people you want to be around um, and even maybe like your own mental health. Like, how do you deal with that? Um, I think again, like foundation is so important and my foundation in art is a holistic approach. So when it comes to it, it's like, I look at progression in art as everything. It's not just how well your music streams or, or how well your art is received. It's like, how, how well your relationship with your friends are and your family and like where you get your inspiration from and how well you find peace and like all of these things contribute to art because I've gotten ideas in so many different ways I've gotten ideas at dinner with friends I've gotten ideas you know working out I've gotten ideas going on walks but I know that the mental state that I'm best uh, receiving ideas is one where I'm at peace and okay with how things are happening so I think like again looking at it as as just this this bubble where all of these things exist cohesively at the same time allows me to maintain a balance um, because some of those things not being in balance affects my art and I know that so I think like I can say, okay, I'm going to take a break from physically writing down ideas and I'm going to go hang out with my friends. But that in and of itself is a part of the bubble. So that's going to help me somehow. Like my mind is going to get better. I'm going to feel happier. I'm going to see them. So I know that when I come back to the art later on, I'll have a more open conduit for the ideas to reach the paper. So it's all it all works together. And I think the fact that I've realized that... Um, at a young age, I guess, uh, is something that allows me to not necessarily lose sight of any of the things that are inside of the bubble and sort of work more efficiently to reaching uh, my potential in all of these different aspects. So here's interesting. I feel like all of what you're saying, um, it's, it's resonating with me a lot, especially because when somebody says that you're doing well at a young age, you're on like you're already on an exponential path, and so they expect you to be following the exponential path forever. And so your ceiling is so much higher than a lot of people that may be 19, 20, 21 years old. And so there's an expectation due to previous results. And so because of that, now you're expecting I have to keep that path or keep up this sort of growth. And a lot of people that may not have their stuff in, in some way, and not that we have it all figured out or you have it all figured out, but because you may have components of your life in order c currently, 
people have an expectation for that. But if you didn't have that currently and there's no expectation, then you have the freedom to think of you can do whatever you want and that could be still seen as successful. But now you have to live up to the expectation that you set for yourself at a young age. It's an interesting dynamic that like you have to manage, right? Mm, yeah, I think uh, expectation is such an interesting thing. Um, it is, it's like fire because it's, it can be good, but it can be really bad. Um, and I think the age thing does have something to do with it, right? Like if, if whether you, whether you want to admit it or not, like when you're younger doing something, it, people hype that up more. And so it's kind of like, um, how to, how to manage the expectation and keep a balance. Balance is one of the most important things that, that like, I'm going to keep saying that's going to be something I keep referring to, um, even with expectation, because in my opinion, expectation in a good way is good. Meaning I have expectations from those around me. Like they expect me to be great. They expect me to continue on a higher trajectory. Um, and that's good expectation for me because it's like, okay, like, yeah, I, I want to keep doing well. I want to keep progressing. I want to keep, um, you know, moving forward. And then there's expectation that could be bad from people that is like, okay, well, you need to keep moving forward so bad that you don't even need to take any time to yourself and you don't need to take any time for your family or your friends or your mental health and you need to... Uh, and if you don't reach this expectation, then you're automatically just trash because you did it. Um, and so I think like that's the negative side of expectation. So I think just keeping that balance with it um, has been helpful. And just having, because we're all human, we're all susceptible to like the good and the bad. Like I'm susceptible to holding myself to expectations of other people and like letting those thoughts come in sometimes like if you don't do this by this age you're not staying you're not moving at the level that you should be moving at like I'm I I have to deal with that as well um but in those moments it's really nice to have good people around me um that are like no like think about it like this or like take a deep breath or like you're competing against yourself at the end of the day um, and you can continue moving as long as you feel like your art is growing at a pace that's good for you, you know. So I think we all are susceptible to that. Finding the balance has helped me and like having people around me that help me to maintain the balance uh, keeps me moving forward regardless of any of the other expectations, good or bad, I'll say. Yeah, it's like that, uh, there's this one self-help um, guru, I forget his name now, Tony Robbins, Tony Robbins, I don't know why I forgot his name, he's like really famous, <laughs> um, but Tony Robbins has this one quote where he says, most people, um, what is it, oh, it's most people overestimate what they can do in one year, and they underestimate what they can do in 10 years. Um, and that really like keeps you grounded, especially as someone who's like 19, 20, right? Like we talk about this all the time. Jack and I talk about this all the time. 
we've only technically been like sentient for like 10 years probably like we've only really had like our own thoughts for like 10 years um and if you just look at like average life expectancies we have like 60 more years left (laughs) so we do like this whole like having our own thoughts thing six more times before we're actually like done um and so it's just difficult when you're at this age to like imagine what even 10 years looks like because technically that's been your whole life it's been half your whole life and your entire like self-aware life um and so it's super easy to be like uh, oh, like I'm 20 and I haven't gotten to where I want to be or like I'm 25 and I haven't gotten to where I want to be. Um, but when you take a step back, it becomes so much easier and you realize you have all the time and you're just doing the things that just take time. That's it. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I think, again, balance. I'm going to go back to this because I know for me, personally and, and different mentalities work for different people um, I know for me though I was raised in a very like competitive household like I have uh, my dad my mom and I have two younger brothers and one younger sister and it's a competitive loud house like it's, it's all of it. everybody plays sports it's really competitive um, I grew up playing sports and so like there is that drive to want to be the best you can be and like want to get stuff done and want to reach this level that you set for yourself and want to like there is that competitive nature but I think when we get caught up in it so where we can't see the other side which is the patience which is the taking your time which is the self-help which is the um, we're still young in a sense um when there's too much of one or too much of the other, generally it's detrimental. Um, so I think I try and keep both of them and I try and use them when when applicable. Because again, I like to push myself. Like that's when I make my best stuff is when I push myself. So I like to be like, yeah, like no, we, we, gotta, we gotta do something good. Like let's do it. Like, um, and then, you know, I think sometimes it switches and it's like okay take your time like breathe you know figure it out so i think time and place and, and knowing how to efficiently use both is what's uh helped me get in the, the current position that i'm in yeah uh i'm super curious because you talk I, I read this one blog post that was done about you and you talked about how virtual ablo is like one of your idols um, and I'm just be curious because I went, I spent my first year at UW Madison, which is where Virgil did his like engineering degree from. Um, so for you, where does engineering fit into all of this? Is that like, is that something that you're going to school for as like a just in case or like what's, what's going on there essentially is what I'm curious about. Uh, it's funny. I always uh, wanted to be an engineer growing up. Uh, specifically an architectural engineer because I wanted to like lead a lot of projects and know how to work hands-on but not necessarily be hands-on all the time Um, and so I always grew up wanting to be an engineer and then I went to college and I sort of realized that I wanted to take principles of engineering and apply them in a more creative way 
Um, and so engineering for me, I'm getting the degree and I'm realizing, okay, I may not want to go this exact specific route, but I'm learning a lot of things that are very useful to my way of thinking. Um, and so one thing that struck me last year was uh, I was going, I was walking with one of my friends and a lot of my friends are similar to me in a lot of the things that they do. And so we all had like these cool outfits on and uh, somebody came up to us and was like, wow, like these outfits are really cool. And then they looked at my outfit and they was like, this is crazy. Like this is a crazy outfit. And um, we all like laughed and was like, thank you, of course. And then one of my friends later on was like, it's not fair wearing outfits against you. And I was like, why? Like, what are you talking about? And he was like, you can tell you're an engineer based on the way you wear clothes. And I never heard anyone say that before. And he was like, it's obvious. Like the way you put things together and like the patterns and the textures and the shapes and like, it's like a building. Like it looks like a build. And I was like, wow, like that's funny. Um, but that really cemented uh, taking principles of engineering that I learned and applying them in a myriad of different ways um, and different artistic pursuits. So, yeah, I, I'm definitely continuing with the degree. It's not in the traditional sense. I guess it would be a backup, but I don't look at it as that. I look at it as I'm learning things every day that I'm going to apply in this specific uh, form and fashion after I graduate. Namish and I were literally having uh, a talk about this today, uh, talking about college specifically and how we are working for degrees that build us skills. More importantly, he mentioned that he's his specific major or majors, whatever he's doing, was based upon teaching himself how to think so that the industry that he goes into, he's able to, to apply that to whatever industry that he wants to do and whatever career endeavors he wants to do specifically so my question for you is you're managing um and for a lack of a better term i'll call it a hobby just because it's early on in the process and it could be a full-time job in the future whatever it may be you have all these different interest bubbles and you have the logical mind and the creative mind both how do you balance that together but all do you how i'm trying to word this correctly how do you balance those two different minds but also when you're trying to build a career you have to think about monetary things as well and does that kill creativity in your mind uh, can you remember that question because there's multiple parts and I don't yes. want to start answering yeah. one yeah. with the rest um, but uh, I would say in terms of the two minds I don't look at them as two separate things um I'm going to give you an analogy. In chess, there's something called an intuitive chess player and then like a more positional uh, studying tactical chess player. Um, an intuitive chess player is, as the name states, basically someone that makes a lot of moves based on their intuition. Like They just make the moves that feel right to them. Um, and then there's like a positional player more so that studies a lot of books and they make moves based off of what they've studied. I'm more of an uh, intuitive chess player, so I make moves based off of how I feel and what feels right, but that is not going to win all the time. Sometimes you have to really study and you have to really like put in the effort and you have to um, study those that are better than you and read books and all of this stuff. And so what I learned was that 
one is not better than the other. It's just when you apply them. So I tried to put them together into one uh, form that can be used similar to water and fit in any space that it's need that it needs to. Um, and it becomes a more efficient use of my brain as a whole rather than splitting, splitting it into two different aspects. Um, so when it comes to the logical and creative mind, I think of those in like a very similar way. Like it's a more efficient use of my brain in a sense if I can put them together and figure out in which space do both of them exist together more efficiently. Um, and I think that by using them in one in one uh, space, it allows me to optimize or, or maximize my uh, brain potential, I guess, um, and, and fit it into something as far left as engineering and as far right as visual art, even though I don't really think they're that far apart, because I have the center brain which puts them both together, if that makes sense. Um, Second part of your question. Uh, what the, was the second part? I got so the second part was: Do you think the monetary part of building your passion into a career kills your creativity, or at least diminishes it? You know. Yeah, I think it can because at the end of the day, that's a very realistic thing. It's like you want to do all these things creatively, but if you can't figure out a way to monetize it you're going to have to do something else to, to make money, to prosper. Um, a lot of my friends that are doing very well creatively, they've worked like jobs, like regular jobs. Like you go to CVS or you go to like Walmart or, you know, you work regular jobs to fund your creativity. Um, I think the way I look at it is... Me personally, I would rather be happy than make a lot of money. And that's just me personally. Um, now, I didn't say I'd rather be happy and, and not make any money. I'd rather be happy and, and, and not make a lot of money. Um, but I think by pursuing that, the money is going to come in the sense because one thing I've learned is people get rich off of good connections. Not even necessarily how good their art is. A lot of people get rich off of who they know. Um, and so I think like by being a genuine person, you meet a lot of people that can put you in positions to express your art and make money off of your art. Um, so I think Specifically because I also... Now, this is where I will say the youth does play a part in it. Because I have a year... Two two more years of not necessary Because I go to school and I was, I'm on scholarship. So I have like two years of not paying for a lot of these things that I will have to pay for afterwards. So being that that's the case, I can almost go as far as I want to in terms of like, I want to go for it. Like, I want to meet these people. I want to travel. I want to do my art all the way. Um, and I'm sort of trying to build this portfolio for myself to where I've been genuine to people. I've met so many people. I've made great connections. I've expressed my art to a point where it's recognized 
for its validity and its impact and then the monetary compensation can come with that um, so I try not to, to put the monetary stuff like first because I think that does diminish the art when there's not necessarily a genuine or a, a uh, personal genuine reason for it because I don't necessarily think that making money solely is a genuine reason um, but I think having your personal genuine reason and then enjoying the monetary compensation that comes with it is is you know a good a good thing with your art so how do you personally define happiness oh uh, that's a good question I, I I think peace of mind is something that can is is a component that's always wherever you are I think when you're happy you're at peace and I think that that's something that I've realized and I've started trying to recognize and point out to myself is like when am I at peace who is around me when I'm at peace what am I doing when I'm at peace um what, and, and I think whenever I can recognize those moments, normally there's a big smile on my face or I'm really enjoying what's going on and I realize like I'm really happy. Um, so for me, those have been the moments where I'm, I'm really at peace, um, where I've, I've realized that I'm really happy. You're going to kind of hate me for this, but like what what's the specific moment that you've been at peace? Because I went like, when are you happy and you're like when I'm at peace but at peace can also be a little bit open ended so what do you think yeah I'll give you an example um, we had the Project NFA Studios uh, event it was the, the culminating event uh, which was in March of this year and we planned it for months and months and months and it was a lot of hard work and it was crazy just a crazy amount of work um everybody was stressed out but we, we pulled it through and um the place was packed we had to like stop people from coming like it was it was crazy um and i remember after the show ended well as the show ended i came up and said a few words and then we all bowed the people that were on the committee that helped me all bowed and everybody started clapping and then uh, the show ended and everybody started talking and mingling and taking pictures and laughing and arms around each other like you did such a good job and I remember I just went to the back of the room or, or like the side of the room and I just sat down and I put my arms around the chair and I just looked and I just saw people everywhere like laughing and like hugging each other and all with like these amazing outfits on and this amazing look of joy on their faces and like I remember I just felt like a peace like it was just like it was it was I don't even know 200 300 people in the room and it felt like it was just me and I remember feeling like it was peace and I realized I was smiling like I had a big smile on my face but I didn't really notice it and I think that was a moment where I was like at peace and I was happy and they were, they, they existed, they coexisted. Um, so I think that was, that was a moment 
that sort of described to me like I'm I have peace of mind and I'm peace I'm at peace and I'm happy um, and they those are existing at the same time so that's an example of that I would say when it comes to an event like that like you're not only engineering outfits and getting everything ready but you're engineering people you're engineering an experience for somebody to come into a space that you created and to make them feel a certain emotion or a certain way how did you go about that i know you had a team behind you but like that just seems like a large undertaking and especially at a young age like, what was that like for you yeah that was that was a lot <laughs> um, i don't know I, I think i looked inside myself and i i wanted to see what what would be cool what would be I, I think a lot of times we make things very complicated but like for me I was just like what would I like like what would be cool what would what would be something that people would appreciate um, and from there it builds right cool bait it's like a, do any of you watch anime okay I watch a little bit of anime anyway there's like this show called One Piece and like the main character he has like these gears and he like moves up and up as it gets more stressful or as he needs to become more powerful. And I feel like I was at like a, I initially started the Project Innovate Studios uh, journey at like a base level. I was at like gear one. I was like, what is, what is cool? Like what, what, what would be something that people would like? And then as you start to um, work with that, you start to like grow and the idea compounds on another idea and it compounds on another idea. And so um, it really just flowed from there. It was such a large undertaking that I think picking the people that were helping me is such a big thing. I never want to understate that. Like I feel like having the right people around you is imperative to making something of that uh, caliber happen and run smoothly. Um, so I was blessed to have the right people around me. Um, but I think, again, just looking inside myself and pulling that art outside of, out from, from inside of myself and expressing it outwards is what made that such a genuine thing. And also what made the translation from my own art to the minds of people that haven't seen me or met me before such an easy, meet from me to them is that it was directly from me to them. It wasn't like I'm, I'm uh, taking something else. Obviously there's inspiration, but the inspiration is, is still inside of me at the end of the day. Um, and so I think that, again, the fact that it was, it was such a genuine outpouring of artistic talent from not only myself, but the people that were on the committee it was all of our artistic talent directly from us, directly to them. And so that made it such a space and such an environment to where you can feel all of that uh, because it came directly from us. So I think that that's how we were able to make that experience really what it was um, and, and, and really inspire and, and imbue people with the uh, artistic energy that we had was the fact that we took it directly from ourselves and, and poured forth with it. 
So Zaheer, I want you to be able to share to the audience real quick, what is Product Innovate Studio? What is your mission? What are you trying to build with that organization? Okay, um, so Project Innovate Studios is like the Avengers. Uh, we're like a, it's it's 14, it's a 14 member committee. Um, it's basically one person in like every aspect of art that you can think of. Um, all with different talents and different capabilities. And we're all actually really good friends too, so that helps out. Um, and we're located in different cities across the country. And we came up with the fashion experience, which was the first event that we had. And we're working on another one uh, this fall, actually, which has been really cool. Um, but the mission of it really is to inspire, and this is in the magazine, because we had a, a magazine issue one that came out in March. Um, but it's, it's really to inspire, it, it says the little creative is what it says. Um, but what that means is, is all of us came from somewhere, right? Like all of us have a story. All of us have um, moments that built us to the artists that we are today. And Project Innovate Studios is really to show the culmination of that and how anyone can become that. Right with the right people around them, with the right expression, anyone can become this big artist. You can start from wherever, and you can exist. Um, and and this isn't our final. We all have so much more growth to to take place. So this isn't like the final form of anyone, but it is to show that you can continue to develop to that point. And from that development and camaraderie with other artists that are also developing genuinely comes really amazing events. Um, I think, again, it, it's very genuine in the sense that it's meant to inspire others and bring forth artistry out of other people. And I think that you can also tell when there's a sense of camaraderie and a sense of genuineness that wants to inspire others. Right, I, I think there's a difference when you're doing something solely for yourself versus when you're doing it to help other people. And I think that one of the big parts of Project Innovate Studios is to inspire and help other people. And I think that that is what has created such a large uh, liking and such a large following to it thus far is the fact that, again, we do a lot of things to inspire others because we know that we came from similar places as well. So how do you draw from your own like creative inspirations into your own work and into whatever you're doing with Project Innovate Studios? Uh, it's so funny. Like, I don't know. I, I like, I feel like people expect such elaborate answers, but like, I really looked at myself this summer and I said, what is cool? Like, I feel like we give, we, cool is a word that we give out too easily. Like, I, I personally, I know for me, like, I get, I gave that word out too easily. Like, everything is not cool. Like, some stuff might be nice or it might be good to look at, but it's not cool. And I feel like cool is not just this one barometer that everyone has to meet. Cool means different things to different people. 
And I think that's the beauty in that. So I think for me, a lot of the things that I do, um, there's like records behind me, but on this wall in front of me, it's just a bunch of ideas, like paintings and stuff. Um, so I just write like, what is cool? What stuff is cool? Like, what do I see that's cool? What do I want to draw that's cool? What do I want to listen to that's cool? What do I see that's cool? And from that, it just builds from there. So the uh, album, the album cover, the album art, the album sound, the all of that was just what is cool? Like, what do I think sounds really good to me? Um, Project Innovate Studios, what is cool? Like, what is going to impact others to make them think it might be cool? Like, all of these things um, stem from an internal love for really cool things. I'm a sucker for really cool things. Like, that's just me. And I think that by expressing that, it happens, and I've been blessed to be able to create externally really cool things as well um and you know I, i've been blessed to have people think that it's it's cool as well so i think that is the base inspiration for a lot of things which also makes like i said the connection very genuine because it's just like what is cool to me and maybe what's cool to me might be cool to you and at the end of the day if that's the base i think it, it makes for such a, a more genuine connection it's interesting. So you're mentioning um, Project Innovate Studios, and um, I just texted Amish. I have no idea if he's going to be down for this or not. Um, and so we're, we're rebranding in the next couple weeks, and so we haven't been releasing any interviews like for three weeks or so. Um, and so, Zaheer, you're like one of the only people we're about to tell the new name to before we release it, and we're going to bleep this out of the interview so, so no one else sees it when we tease it. Um, but the name of it is, um, Project Alchemy. And the reason that we're rebranding to that, and, uh, we really like the vision of Project Innovate Studios, um, and specifically because you're mentioning how you want to create new ideas and find ways to create your own level of cool. And we're trying to inspire others to truly create what is not existent in their own realm, in their own bubble. What what doesn't exist that they want to create, that's what we're trying to build. Um, and so truly, based on that, that's kind of like the mission and core values that we're trying to lead with. Um, and so we both want to uh, show admiration to what you're building, but also um, we, we very much hold uh, similar values and how we're trying to inspire others to create in their own way. Um, in many different capacities. No, yeah, I think that's great. I think it's, it's always cool to meet and converse with people that have similar mental expressions. Um, and I think the expression of inspiring others is, is one that shows very boldly in an artist. When And I consider someone is an artist, like you all are artists to me. I, I consider you an artist. Like people are very st stinky with that word, I guess. But I think artists are, are cover such a wide range. Um, but I think when inspiring others genuinely is part of the mentality of, of, an, of an artist, it shows very prominent. So I think it's cool to discuss that with you all. That 
take that mentality and in a similar way because I think we can relate and talk about a lot of things to you as well from the same perspective. Yeah, and you, I mean, you, uh, you and Project Innovate Studios do that just by existing, right? So I like I saw this TikTok the other day um, where this girl was talking about how she ran into Tyler, the creator, because he just bounces around everywhere in LA. Um, and she lived in LA, she's at the restaurant, she like met Tyler, the creator. Um, and he was like, I love your pants, they're so dope. Where'd you get them? And she was like, oh, I actually paint uh, like paint designs on pants myself, um, and I, like, and he was like, and she was like, oh, like, I used to have an Etsy store, but now I like stopped that because I have a full time job, and he was like, he like looked her dead in the eye, and he was like, never give up on that passion of yours, and like never give up on that creative thing that keeps you going, um, and afterwards she was like, shit, like I guess I'm just gonna reopen my Etsy store now. Um, and that's that's kind of what we're trying to do, and I know that's what you guys are trying to do at Project Innovate Studios. It's like we're trying to uh, keep it. We're trying to get other people to realize that they should not give up on what keeps them going and what keeps that fire inside of them burning for something that might be easier or stable. Um, and again, everyone has their own priorities. Everyone has their own uh, path. But if it's something that they know they want to do, we're here to help them make a path. It's funny because I, I just saw that same uh, story. I didn't see the background, but I saw the girl with the pants that she painted. Um, and they, So that, that was really cool. I didn't know that backstory. But, yeah, I, I think, again, just, just inspiring others and, and not even it's, – it's more so inspiring others to be their best selves, not even really inspiring others to be like me. It's really just inspiring others to be the best that they can be. Um, and I think that we all can do that. We all can inspire other people to be the best that they can be and create a, a more genuine artistic community as a whole, uh, which, which benefits everybody in my opinion. So when it comes to, I want you to break something down for me real quick here because I, um, it's not every day we have a mind that's like so separate in many industries, but all connected in how those relate. And so I want to ask you a question, just answer to the best of your ability. So I want you to break down both how you look at a scene when you're filming and directing and how you pick out scenes for a shot and how that might work. But then also conversely, how you go about designing and like engineering an outfit, because I think your thought process behind both can be interesting for somebody to hear um, and how you like go about that process specifically. And selfishly, I kind of want to hear someone with that sort of creative mind break down how they visualize um, two different mediums separately. I wish I could like share my screen or something because there's, there's a, a lot of examples that work with this. Um, but you, you all can hear me, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, wait, wait, actually, wait, wait. Can you look down at your bottom bar real quick where it says, like, stop and mark clip and stuff? Is there, or, like, stop and, like, mic? Yeah, is there, there is. Yeah, sure. Okay, let's see. I've, we've never tried this, so you are guinea pig for this. 
Like literally, I just saw it. So. <laughs> So it says that I'm, I think it says that I'm sharing. Let me see. going to show um, there's a, a, a music video that's out that I directed um, and there's a scene that we used as a thumbnail and that scene is like one of the most beautiful shots that like, I've ever seen and in the scene it is Man, I wish I could. Uh, I'm gonna try and figure out how to screen share in the second after I explain this. Um, but in the scene, the colors relate so well, but it's not just the color, it's the texture. And I think that colors have texture because colors make you feel some type of way. Like different colors make you think some type of way. My favorite color is green because green is like super versatile. It, it can exist in a lot of different ways, it's a lot of different shades, etc. But green is totally different from red. Right, like red makes you feel something totally different, and if you have green, green being that it's versatile to me in my brain, versatile means space. Like it just it just means something has a lot of space because it's versatile. You can put it anywhere, and so if you have a lot of space, that means that you need to take up the space with something else. You need to take up the space with something that's a little bit more. Um, a little bit more energetic, something that's gonna pop out. So in the green on, on the shot that I'm talking about, there's like a big splotch of blue in the middle. And like the blue is like, it's not even really like a sharp blue, it's more of a, a, a sky blue and the texture is of a sweater. And so the sweater fits perfectly. It's something that pops out, but also fits the expanse of the green. And so it was just all these different qualities that make up the shot but um to me it was just like putting those together and putting together a fit is like the same one is just bigger like one is just a lot grander in, in, in scheme and plot but putting together a fit is the same way literally like okay i'm wearing these pants and the pants to me, they feel like this. I can like feel them and they feel like this, but that means that the shirt can't also feel like that. It has to feel like something different and it has to give off a different flair. It has to give off a different feel to the audience, which is what it is, you know, people that are walking around or even myself, because at the end of the day, the first thing is, do I like what I'm wearing? So it's like, okay, 
I'm the audience. Does it feel different to me? How does it feel? So I put together a, a different color with what I'm wearing or, you know, even, even the smaller nuanced things. So in the, the big picture, talking about the film shop, um, there's a brown briefcase with a white canvas inside of it. And that's to sort of even out the shot because you have a lot of green and a striking blue. So if you have a white and a tan that's smaller, it levels out the shot. So to me, in outfits, that's more like, okay, I'm wearing green and blue, so that means I need something to level it out. So I'm going to have a little bit of white. I'm going to have some jewelry that's more like gold or brown. And that's going to bring down the entirety of the outfit, but it's also going to make it more cohesive. So I don't know. It's just that's really how I do things, if that makes sense. Um, it's funny because I think I can find it um, really quickly. So this is the shot. I'll show it, I guess. Oh, uh, this is so hard. So... I'm gonna actually put that up on YouTube. Um, so this is like one of my favorite shots. And it's like the shot that I was talking about where you have like the green, it's like an expanse of green. It's like it makes you feel like you're in a deep, dark forest somewhere. Like, it's just like a expanse. And then you have the sharp blue, but you need something to bring it together. So you have the white and the tan that's right here that actually goes together with the grass because the grass has different uh, shades to it of green. So it's like all of these things are cohesive. And you can make a fit that's also pretty similar to that, just in a smaller way. I wonder if I have... Oh, <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. I have a, uh, I have multiple fits that are very similar to that. Um, I've been gone. I wish I could make this a little bit bigger, but oh yeah, I can. Um, just because you you um, you asked, I'm trying to explain this. But there was a video that I did with my friend. His name is Sung. He's like a super talented videographer. Um, but this is an outfit, and it, it feels the same. It's like, okay, but instead you have an expanse of blue. So that means you need a pop of green on the inside. So you have green, and then what do you need to bring it together? You need some white and some gold. So you have the white part of the hat or the white tan shirt and the gold. So it's the same thing, almost really just inverted and made smaller. So... I think um, it just allows the, the only thing that changes here is the capacity. It's like the brain, my brain has these artistic elements and things that it's able to do with just how big can I, can I go? How big can I make it? Um, and the fits, I consider like the outfits, like my daily, like practice almost like I, I really do. Like sometimes I'll wake up, take a shower and I'll purposely only give myself like five minutes to make an outfit. Like, for the day 
And it'll be like, okay, how can you put these colors together in a combination that you've never done before? And I think that that really helps me when it comes to like directing or planning photo shoots or videos or et cetera, et cetera, because it's the same concept, just bigger. So yeah, that was a long explanation, but yeah. I, I appreciate it a ton. I love it. Thanks. No, that's dope. We've actually never had someone like deconstruct it in that sort of way before. We're literally, I'm literally, as you're saying this, I'm like thinking up of ways that we can put video of that on the internet because this is an audio podcast. I'm like, I need people to see this. So we're coming up with ways. Don't even trip. Um, But just wrapping up, everyone that comes on the podcast, we ask them two questions. Um, So the first one we're going to ask you. Um, is what are two pieces of content, whether that be books, movies, albums, any any content really, really anything qualifies um, that has really impacted you personally? Oh, man. That is... It's so many. Like, it's so many that is really... That is such a hard question. Um... Man. I'm going to give a few things. I guess as far as like visual art, like anything visual art, I think some of these things have had the biggest impact on me. Um, two things. The Juggernaut music video that uh, Tyler made that's a very big inspiration to me um, in fact the shot that I just showed you all where I'm sitting on the ground with the bucket hat with the green background that actually came from the shot of Tyler standing uh, under the tree with the lemon tree and he's wearing like tan tan is the base though in that in that shot so we inverted it a little bit more but I think all of the aspects of the Juggernaut video and the What's Your Name video have been pretty uh, instrumental to how I view, like, color. Um, I'm going to look at this as well. I have a book that I use called uh, The Designer's Dictionary of Color. Um, It's by Sean Adams. Uh, I bought this last year and it really just like breaks down all like how color can work together and like all of these like it has like brands and why brands use a certain color and like what like all of these different things so I've used this book a lot um, and read it a lot Uh, it's funny because Outside of that, and this is a shameless plug, I guess, but my friends, my friends inspire me the most. Like, I study their work more than anybody else. So, um, like I said on the committee that I talked about, we have like 14 different artists, um, and they all make art in different ways. And I study their work the most. For instance, like, this is, I'm sitting at a desk and like, in front of me on the desk is this thing. I have a briefcase that is like painted like this and then the back is like the Michelangelo hands. So 
This is a $2 thrifted briefcase that my friend hand painted in one day. Like both sides in one day. Like this is, to me it's like amazing. Like I'm like, I've, I've never seen anything like that before, but it's just like his work inspires me. And not only that, but the, the meaning behind his work. So I'll say if we're going big, uh, those two videos, the Juggernaut and What's Your Name videos, I really like to um, inspect them a lot. Um, also, a website called Film.io, which is a very big like film database. You can look up any film and it'll show it, as well as um, like it'll break down the films. Um, that's a, a website for me. And then, like I said, the Design Edition Air of Color. Then on a very small scale, like the people I'm surrounded by every day and like the inspiration that I have for it. Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so yeah, those are some things that motivate me on a daily basis uh, because I feel like you can take inspiration from those that are sort of uh, where you want to be with these videos and things of that nature, but I feel like the most genuine heart-to-heart -heart inspiration that's going to inspire you and push you is like the people that you're literally around every day. Like I feel like those people are going to sort of inspire you, so I take the most of my inspiration from them. Awesome. Zaheer, and the last question we have for you today is it's a little different because of your age as well. We usually, uh, I'll just get right into it. So um, we usually ask, if you give one piece of advice to your younger self, what would it be? But specifically to like yourself entering high school, if you were took in a time frame. <sighs> one piece of advice that I would give to um, I would just say like don't let fear stop you from doing anything like I think fear stops a lot of people and fear is not necessarily this big boogeyman that we think it is like fear of of you know, I used to think that when I was younger, like fear must mean like, uh, man, like I'm too scared to, um, I don't know, too scared to like make this, 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 let me give it a, a younger example. Let me think like, I don't know, like I'm, I'm scared to put out this piece of art because people might not like it, right? Like. That sometimes we think that that's fear, but fear could be I'm scared of being too good. Like I'm scared that like people are gonna really like this, so the expectation is gonna make it harder for me to put out more work. Or like I'm scared to um, travel to go do this because I'm too like nervous, even though I know I'm good enough. Like I'm scared. Or like you know I'm scared to really take this step into what I'm passionate about because I'm not sure how I'm going to handle the day-to-day -day things that I have to work with. Like, fear exists in so many different ways. And I feel like, for me, one of the biggest things that I'm continuing to learn is, like, every time I uh, wear that thing that I'm too scared to wear or, like, every time that I go talk to that person that I'm too scared to talk to, or I go travel to that place and I 
have a little bit less money left in my account than I thought, and I, I'm scared about it. Every time that I go do it, it ends up being better. Like, it, it ends up being worth it. Like, um, and those are normally the moments that push me further than any other moments, is when I go when I'm scared. Um, so I would just tell myself to start doing that earlier. Um, but I'm a very firm believer of like everything has happened in my life for a reason. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. But if I could tell myself something earlier, that's what I would say. Wilza here. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate you giving us your time and we hope to keep in touch and following your creative journeys in the future. We'll make sure to link all your profiles or your stuff down below. Um, so people can get, um, kind of engaged with both what you do and also, um, Project Innovate Studios and all the work that they do. Um, so really excited for you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was, it was a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to, to talk art. All right. That's it for today's episode of the podcast. As always, guys, peace. Today with Amazon Business, Shannon Stuckey of Walburn Woodworking helped her team buy 63 circular saws. Okay, Andy, take it easy. Now she uses her time to focus on growing something big. Buy smarter, dream bigger. Visit Amazon Business, your partner for smart business buying. Right here in your neighborhood. Here's a little tale about hard-to-recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. plastics can be so much more. Give this trash the second chance it was hoping for. Hard-to-recycle plastics can be so much more. Participate in the Hefty Energy Bag Program, happening in your neighborhood today. Hey, what's up, you guys? It's your girl, Lauren Sizzle, and you are tuned into one of the hottest talk shows in the nation, We Talk Weeklies After the Talk. Make sure you tune in each and every Tuesday at 7 p.m., and you can listen anywhere. Just download the TuneIn Radio app, Look for WPPM 106.5 FM on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And I got some good news for you. You want to binge listen to our shows? Follow We Talk Weeklies after the Talk podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, 
and Spreaker. Subscribe to our YouTube channel to check out all of our amazing shows and event coverage. And follow We Talk Weekly on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And most importantly, keep it locked. That's right. We have another time to be here with the people. We have the beautiful people who have been reaching out, who has been following us, who has been doing the special, the beautiful things, man. And you already know, We Talk Weekly is doing some big, beautiful things, right? So this is your boy, Charles Greg, with the beautiful... Uh-oh. You know what? Lauren That's my fault, yo. Sizzle. You know, so I got to make sure Sparkle Price. Lauren Sparkle, you here? Sizzle. I'm here. You... Sparkle is in the building, too. There we go. You know what I mean? We got Lady Esther. You in the building? I'm in the building. Everybody in the building. I had to make sure that my ladies was great, you know? So this your boy Charles Gregory with the beautiful Lauren Sizzle and the beautiful Classy Lady Sparkle. And we in the building today, man. This is WPPMOP 106.5 FM. We talk weeklies after the talk. And as I stated before, we got some big things. Big mm. things popping, man. Yes. People saying us, they seeing us down Grace Ferry a lot, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they seeing us down South Philly a lot, whatever that means, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they, they hearing us on on podcasts and 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 where we at now? Let's Google go. Podcasts and, come on. and Spreaker and, 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 and Apple Podcasts hey, and iHeartRadio <laughs> and Spotify hey. and Casper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am here, man. I hope nobody had headphones on for that part. Yes. <laughs> Listen to the show with some headphones. He like, just oh woke my God. God. And there you go. Wake up, wake up, wake, wake up. up. That's, That's right. right. We in the building, man. Shout out to Deli Motion, too, man. Deli Shout Motion out has been Deli showing Motion. us some love, man. So I'm appreciate that. And, you know, everybody been showing us love, man. Shout out to all the. Got a shout out to the uh, where was we at? Was it Friday, Thursday? Epilogues Live. Epilogues Live. What day was that? That was Saturday. 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 Sunday. That was Sunday. Sunday, Yeah. Mm -hmm. See, we getting we doing so much. (laughs) Doing so much, (laughs) man. And so we had the opportunity to uh, be at Epilogues Live. Shout out to Zarina Lomax. She, you know, fantastic show and for excellent cause. And so I was, um, I had the honor of co-hosting that event and, and, and truly I just was there just to kind of show support. So I spoke a little bit, but you know, it was amazing to see so many people that come out Mm -hmm. to support, um, or advocate against violence, more specifically gun violence. And I made everybody do a pledge. I said, put your hands in the air and say, I promise to fight against and advocate against gun violence, man. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and that's something serious, and we got to make sure that we do, man. You know, because mm-hmm. if not you and the families who have lost, you know, children, you know, who have succumbed to that type of violence, right? right. If you are not a parent, 
that did that, you know somebody in here, mm-hmm. even right now, you know someone who has been affected by a tragedy such as gun violence. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I just want y'all, to, you know, just I had to just shout that out. So it was a, gr- a great pleasure for me to be a part of that um, initiative, to be there and 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 do my fashionable stuff. Talk a little bit mm-hmm. about fashion because that's what I do, All right? Yeah. And so this is your boy Charles Greg with the beautiful Lauren Sizzle, and the beautiful classy lady Sparkle. You know what you want to? You want to go? Let's go straight into. You want to do some good news, bad news? All right, that's, that's yeah, you want to do some good news, yeah. bad news? Yeah, yeah, All right, let's yeah. get into good news, bad news, man. All right. We're going to talk about the bad news. Studies show that vaping has killed five people. Wow. Like, now they got enough research to say, y'all who vaping, y'all need to stop. Medical Uh-oh. experts and federal health officials, officials warn the public about the dangers of vaping. Some investigators have zeroed in on a vitamin E oil as the possible culprit to the outbreak of cases across the country. E-cigarettes, if y'all don't know what they are, they're devices that operate by heating a liquid solution to a high enough temperature so that it produces an aerosol that people inhale. Federal officials are reviewing 450 cases linked to vaping across 33 states, including... 215 cases right now that have been previously reported. Unbelievable. Many of the patients who became sick said that they vape THC which is a marijuana compound that produces a high that they get. And this was told by Dana Meany Delman who was overseeing the CDC. Patients afflicted with illness typically have showed up in the emergency room with shortness of breath after several days of flu-like symptoms, including high fever. They also believe that the heating coils in the vaping device, it might be released particles of the metal when you're inhaling it. Imagine that you're inhaling something that the particles in the vaping device, the wow. metal pieces are now they're starting to get into the lungs. Yeah, wow. mm. So people are dying from vaping. Yeah, and you know the the irony is when it first came out they said that it was safer than cigarettes. Than cigarettes. It's it's right. worse. Yeah, that's or crazy. just as bad. Yeah, yeah, just as bad, right? How about yeah. that, right? So, None of them are good. But the the sad part is right. that it's now being geared to teenagers because they're coming yes. out with these different flavors. Flavors. Right. Yeah. And they even look appealing to kids, like mm-hmm. candy looking. Like yeah. Sour yes. Patch Kids and Bazooka Gum. And, uh, so that, kids are the ones that are on the rise. So that's yeah. the future. I had to have a whole conversation with my son mm-hmm. because he said, Mom, I'm... I want to vape like that looks so cool or whatever he said. And I'm like, are you serious? You better not do that. And then they were showing, um, I think it was like either a 2020 special where they were showing this, uh, boy that was, um, I think he was on life support or something like that. Or yeah, because he was, he had been vaping for years and his parents didn't even know he was a healthy child and they rushed him to the hospital 
with a uh, heart failure or whatever it was because he had been doing that lung failure something wow so yeah. i had to pull up that story and send it to him i'm like no you're not that's right. scare no, him you straight will not be. they yes. have this other commercial for cigarettes that they show that a lot of surgeries and people that had they like half of their jaw taken off because mm. of the years of cigarettes so you think it looked cool walking down the street cool. with these mm-hmm. cute little devices and then in the next couple of years, you, you could be talking out of your neck, yeah. literally, yeah. through a, a tube eating or something. Yep. That's scary, man. So, being yeah. sick ain't cool. Nah, Come on, young people, you got to take care of your bodies. Yes. Yes. Right. You know how many people would love to have that young, that youth, that, that health, youth, you, that you know. You know. Yeah, you got it and you're destroying it. Yeah. All right, well, that was bad news. Here's here's some good news. And this is the only time I think we'll Mm, have good news. Good news, good news. Yeah, this is good (laughs) news, good news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More than 3,000 prisoners have been released under the First Step Act. They were released from prison in halfway houses across the country under the First Step Act signed into law by y'all president last year. Trump. <laughs> uh, yeah, President Trump signed an act last year to help release uh, non-violent prisoners. Governor Andrew mm. Cuomo signed a bill also into law further decriminalizing marijuana and lowering the fines for possession for less than two ounces. So starting August 28th, possessing less than two ounces of marijuana will only be a violation in New York, just like a traffic ticket. You would need to look into your state to, to see the specific laws, but the new maximum fines are possession of less than one ounce will carry a, a fine of $50, down from 150 for the first time offender it will be 250 dollars and 15 days in jail for repeat offenders mm. so they still want money because it's like it's still two ounces oh, but yeah. it's the government right yeah so <laughs> they're they going up on the prices but the yeah, new law they still gotta make their drug money yeah yeah <laughs> legally yeah. right because <laughs> i don't understand if it's a a fifty dollar fine for the first time, but then when you repeat it, they they going up. Mm, like mm, it's mm. still the same ounces. Yeah. The new law creates the new law creates a process to wipe clean the criminal record of anyone convicted of low level marijuana possession prior to August twenty eighth, which is known as expungement. So it'll be wiped clean from your record. That applies to about 202,000 convictions, including 57,000 outside of New York City, according to the State Division of Criminal Justice Service. For more information, anyone listening, you want more information on this, if if it applies to you, contact an attorney or legal aid group or your county court clerk, clerk office. And that was your good news. So um, I like that good news because I have a piggyback for the sizzle. So you guys want to make sure you stay tuned if you want to hear this piggyback. Okay. That's what's up. That's more information. Yeah, man. So So, y'all not going to get y'all president no uh, 
clout back. <laughs> <laughs> he do anything for clout. The president do anything for clout. I mean, he do that anything was for clout, right? that was a good thing mm-hmm. that he did. It doesn't mean he's a good person because he could have had an agenda behind why he did that. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. I just no. told y'all to tax. Yeah, yeah. You see the money went up. Yeah. Y'all I mean, Trump. they say Abraham. All about making money. You know what? Abraham Lincoln. They say he signed the the treaty or something to release slaves, and it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the slaves. It was about the money. The money. He didn't do it for the slaves. He yeah. did it. So yeah. And everybody applaud him, give him high fives, and everything. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Well. That was your good news. And that was your good news, ladies and gentlemen. That was good news and bad news. And this is your boy, Charles Gregory, the beautiful. Lauren Sizzle. The beautiful. Classy Lady Spark. I don't want y'all to go anywhere, Lady. I start what we got coming up next. NLE Chopper. Ooh, I like that, John Shotter. We got coming up. Can you give me something else next? Can you give me something to come next? Because this is what I'm, this is my, this is how I, this is what I like. You know, music, it had me on my lean a little bit. See, I like, I like songs, right, that, you know, got a nice little beat to it that, you know, got, got me, you know, leaning in my car and just like, boom. You know, turn up the bass a little bit. You know, you go by the L stop for those who are not from Philadelphia. The L is like our train. And so when you go by the L stop and, you know, you turn the music and that bass kick, boom. You know what I'm saying? Everybody look over like, who that? You know what I'm saying? So we got, what we got coming up next? What song is this? I'm some music. Ish, Megan Oh, well, you know anything she do is good. So don't go anywhere, y'all. She boy Charles Gray. We'll be right back after this. Hello. Hey, what's up, you guys? It's your girl, Lauren Sizzle, and you are tuned in to one of the hottest talk shows in the nation. We talk weeklies after the talk. Make sure you tune in each and every Tuesday at 7 p.m. And you can listen anywhere. Just download the TuneIn Radio app. Look for WPPM 106.5 FM on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And I got some good news for you. You want to binge listen to our shows? Follow We Talk Weeklies after the talk podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, and Spreaker. Subscribe to our YouTube channel to check out all of our amazing shows and event coverage. And follow We Talk Weekly on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And most importantly, keep it locked. She said you all about money. <laughs> Yo, he said if you all about money, he don't want you, right? But she said, I don't care. <laughs> well, then you just don't want me. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> One of those things, man. That's what I'm saying, especially with, you know, the young ladies who are already getting their bread. You know, they don't look at men for bread. And that's the big, that's one of the things that we have to understand, like, especially like the fathers, if you raising your daughters, you know, treat them like your little princesses, you know, get them, uh, see, I spoil the, I spoil the babies, right? But spoil, spoil, you spoil the little girls. So, you know, when they see bread, they can look at it like, what? 
You better triple that. My dad give me that for my allowance. You dig? You know, so that's just one of those things. So, but this is your boy Charles Gregg with the beautiful Lauren Sizzle and the beautiful Classy Lady Sparkle. Man, let me tell you something. I'm just excited about today and a lot of things that's been going on. Let me tell you why. Because it's one of those things. This is what we do, right? And you know, it, it, as long as you know you keep continuing to you know love us. We talk weekly and love what we do and everything that we do. You already know you're going to win, right? This is your boy Charles Gray with the beautiful Lauren Sizzle. And the beautiful Classy Lady Sparkle. What we got coming up next? We got the Sizzle. We got the Sizzle, ladies and gentlemen. Give it to yes, me early. Yes, sir. So, Sway Lee and his ex girlfriend, Marlisa Ortiz, they got into it. TMZ report says Sway and his ex got into an argument at his LA home. She allegedly began throwing objects at him and just straight out attacked him and headbutted him before security kicked him kicked her out. So I got a headache just thinking about this headbutt. I'm like Sheesh. a woman just did she just straight up headbutted him. I, I don't know, but <laughs> whatever. So she called 911 and then she claimed that Sway had um, sexually assaulted her. Hold on, wait, then, wait, what? what? Sway Lee. Sway in the morning? No, Sway Lee. Sway Lee. Oh, Sway Lee. Okay. And we 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 wanted to make sure that it wasn't Sway. Not Sway in the morning. Sway Lee. Sway Lee. Yeah, Sway Lee and his um this is him and his ex, Melissa Ortiz. Uh-oh. But um, she called 911 and claimed that Sway Lee sexually assaulted her. But when police arrived, then she changed her story. That right there, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. But, you know, and then she admitted to starting the fight by breaking items in his house and hitting him. But she claims that he strangled her. Um, those are her allegations. And reportedly, neither Sway Lee or his ex had any visible marks on them, and she was not arrested at the time. But TMZ reports that a rep for Sway Lee says that the cops determined that she did falsify her accusations. So I guess I'm assuming that later she was arrested. Yeah. And then she goes and does she goes and does this whole video of like how. Oh yeah, these rappers, they want you to um I guess I guess she's not just saying in so many words like they want you to agree to, you know, or or be okay with what they do. Cuz she I mean, I guess that was her way of saying maybe he had cheated on her or whatever and she was like, "I'm just not okay with that." And any girl would want to be a rapper's girlfriend so somebody can have him. So that's what she said in the video, but Oh my yes. god. Yes, 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 yes. So if you guys miss the um good news, bad news, you know, classy lady sparkle, she talked about the first step act in our oh, president Donald Trump. So, you know, I'ma just shout say out this. To classy lady sparkle. Yeah, shout out to classy lady we sparkle. Good news. Finally. Good news that was good news. Good news that yes. was good. She yes. gives these good bad news. 
whatever yes. you want to call it, that little... made up word she yeah. came up with. It oh, this is the bad there. news. No, <laughs> good news or yeah. bad news. Yeah, right. so behind every great man, everybody knows there's a great woman, right. and a great woman will That's hold right. a great man down. There so apparently go. the prezzy, Donald Trump, he did not get the memo. Ah. So he he takes to Twitter as he normally does several times a day to rant. You know, this time he was basically talking about the First Step Act and people so-called taking credit for criminal justice reform. And then he goes and tweets, of course, when all the people pushing so hard for criminal justice reform were unable to come even close to getting it done. They came to me as a group and asked for my help. I got it done with a group of senators and others who would never have gone for it. Obama couldn't come close. He always got to throw Obama in there. And then he says, a man named Van Jones and many others were profusely grateful at that time. I signed it into law, he says in all caps. No one else did. And Republicans deserve so much credit, deserve much credit. But now, but now that it has passed, people that have virtually nothing to do with it are taking the praise. So get this. Guys like boring musician John Legend and his filthy mouth wife are talking now about how great it is. But I didn't see them around when we needed help getting it passed. So he can't. Filthy mouth wife. He came for the wrong one. Yes, yes. So you know Chrissy Teigen, who was John Legend's wife, she wasted no time in clapping back with a series of tweets of her own. So she said, LOL, now she went in. She went all the way She went all the way in, just so explicit that I can't. I'm just going to give you the beginning letter of each explicit word. So you could kind of get get the picture for yourself. So, so she says, LOL with a P-A-B. Then she says, tag everybody but me in honor, Mr. President. She said, LOL with a P-A-B. Tagged everybody but me in honor, Mr. President. So she tweeted after that. You know, Luna, Luna, which is the daughter, remember the night before the first day of school when mommy was making your sign and the P.A.B. had his ninth meltdown of the day? She also, you know, sarcastically tweeted out after that. She says, didn't want hashtag President P.A.B. to start trending. And it it did start trending. So it has has started trending. And then John Legend was like, imagine being president of a whole country and spending your Sunday night hate watching MSNBC, hoping somebody, anybody will praise you. Melania, please praise this man. He needs you. And then later he started tweeting too. Don't let hashtag president P.A.B. start trending. P.A.B. It's trending now. Now it's trending, P-A-B. So let's see if he comes for this couple again. Probably not. Probably not. Well, well, you know, some people like attention. 
you know, he's a reality star also. Your president is a reality star. So, you know, he might like it too and come up with his own hashtag. Mm. Well, so, I mean, some people were, of course, they had something to say about her. They were trying to come back at her um, saying little things. I forget what was the hash. Oh, they, they were saying hashtag um, filthy mouth wife. They oh, were trying man. to start that hashtag, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. But a lot of people were in support of her because, like, he just came for her for came for her for no reason. But. Anyway, anyway, so the Celebrity Sizzle Award of the Week goes to, wait, what happened to my music? (laughs) (laughs) So this uh, Celebrity Sizzle Award of the Week is going to uh, several celebrities, Tyler Perry, Ludacris, Rihanna, Lenny Kravitz, Michael Jordan, and the Sacramento Kings star Buddy Hilde. They have, yes, they have stepped up to the plate along with global relief agencies and many others who have rushed to the aid of the Bahamas Islands that was severely destroyed by Hurricane Dorian. That was sad. I see. Yeah, it's just devastation all over there. So sad. So prayers up for them. But NBC News reports that the death toll in the Grand Bahamas and um, Abaco climbed to 50 with thousands of people still missing. Wow. So wow. there was a cruise ship that ferried more than um, 1,100 Bahami- Bahamians to the United States and Customs and Border Protections that delivered food and water by helicopter. Oh, that's good. But, yeah, there is some, some resources to okay. them. And just to kind of, like, you know, say what they, these people have been doing. Tyler Perry, he has a personal seaplane. That's located in Nassau, Bahamas, and he made several trips delivering water, sleeping bla- sleeping bags, and toiletries. And Ludacris donated more than he donated more than a hundred thousand oh. from his annual Luda Day weekend to a hurricane relief fund. Anybody else? Rihanna, she reached out to oh, see how she on. can help. Lenny Kravitz. Hold up. He's oh, Hercules, Hercules. Come on, let's go. Len, Lenny Kravitz is going to be sending some um, basic needs like generators, okay. chainsaws, flashlights, oh, oh, waters, oh. food, etc. Et okay. And Michael Jordan, he donated $1 million. What? Yes, he did. <laughs> don't do that. To, don't do that to Mike. <laughs> Shout out to Mike. I gotta give him yes, let me just say, everybody be like Mike. Okay. Just now be like, you Mike. Be like Mike. Now you can be like Mike. And, and, and Buddy like Hill, he donated $100,000. And he also started a GoFundMe to raise money for people who need it. So, shout out to them. Yes, I'm your girl, Lauren Sizzle, and that was a Sizzle. And that was the Sizzle, ladies and gentlemen. It's your boy Charles Greg with the beautiful. Lauren Sizzle. And the beautiful. Classy Lady Sparkle. Check this out, y'all. I don't want you to go anywhere because when we come back, we got something special, man. You know that I love the interviews, right? And why do I love the interviews? Because I get this opportunity to talk to the beautiful folks that's really doing some things, especially when it come out of the hood, man. Come out of my own hood.
good, man. Hopefully, I don't even know, but they better be from Philly. So I can shout. I'm just saying, coming out. But the hood is a hood all over the place. So shout out to shout out. So shout out to all the, the hoods around the world, man. Because, you know, we touch everybody. We touch New York, Atlanta, Birmingham, Jersey, New York. Shout out to New York because we got something coming up Friday. We going to be in New York. Your boy going to be up there in Fashion Week, man. I'm going to have the ladies. Shout out to Belly Motion, man. You know, they bringing us up there. They want us to talk what we do. I'm going to be on the fashion panel talking with who? With one of the mob wives, right? Natalie. Mad- Natalie. Natalie, yeah. Shout out to Nat DiDonato. Shout out to Nat yeah. So I don't want y'all to go nowhere. We'll be right back. This your boy Charlie with the beautiful. Lawrence And the beautiful. Classy lady. Lady Estelle, what we got coming up next? We got some Lizzo for y'all right now. Good as hell. Baby, how you feeling? Hey, what's up, you guys? It's your girl, Lauren Sizzle, and you are tuned in to one of the hottest talk shows in the nation, We Talk Weekly's After the Talk. Make sure you tune in each and every Tuesday at 7 p.m., and you can listen anywhere. Just download the TuneIn Radio app. Look for WPPM 106.5 FM on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And I got some good news for you. You want to binge listen to our shows? Follow We Talk Weekly's After the Talk podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, and Spreaker. Subscribe to our YouTube channel to check out all of our amazing shows and event coverage. And follow We Talk Weekly on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And most importantly, keep it locked. Right here in your neighborhood. Here's a little tale about hard-to-recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. plastics can be so much more. Give this trash a second chance it was hoping hard to recycle plastics can be so much more participate in the hefty energy bag program happening in your neighborhood today Right here in your neighborhood. Here's a little tale about hard to recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. Plastics can be so much more. Your hard-to-recycle plastics can be so much more. Participate in the Hefty Energy Bag Program, happening in your neighborhood today. 
Aprovecha los precios más bajos de la temporada de JCPenney. Como toallas de baño Home Expressions Quick Dry a solo $4.88. Y encuentra aún más ahorros en botas para damas y jeans para él y ella de marcas como St. John's Bay, Mutual Weave, Arizona y más. Comenzando en $21.88 cada uno. Compre con estilo. JCPenney. Ofertas válidas hasta el 23 de octubre en selección de estilos. Los precios más bajos de la temporada se refiere al periodo del 31 de julio al 23 de octubre. Se excluyen del cupón. If you're looking for the top fantasy football waiver wire ads for week 7, I got you covered right now. What's going on, everybody? This is the FF Faceoff. I am Anthony Servino, your host. Follow me on Twitter at the Real NFL Guru. Follow the show at the FF Faceoff. We can be found at all the top social media and podcast platforms. Remember, if you like anything in this video, subscribe to the channel. Hit the alert icon so you can be notified anytime we are live or drop new content. And anytime we are live, we answer your questions the whole time as long as you bring the questions. Also, hit the like button. All of these engagements help us grow and reach more people just like you. Let's get started at the top. Let's get started at the top quarterback ads for week seven with Matt Ryan. Only rostered in 28% of fantasy leagues, Matt Ryan could be a league winner moving forward. He's starting to get going in Frank Reich's offense last week against the Jags. Season highs across the board. Season high, 31.1 fantasy points depending on where you play. Season high, 42 of 58 completions, 389 passing yards, three touchdowns. Matt Ryan getting it going with Pittman, Alec Pierce, Molly Cox, Paris Campbell, Deion Jackson, the running back, even got into the mix on the ground, which means when Jonathan Taylor comes back very, very soon, could be this week even, he'll be coming back to a functional offense, and a lot of that has to do with Matt Ryan getting comfortable with his new team. And guess what? Matt Ryan has terrific matchups upcoming, including Week 7 against Tennessee. 30th. Against fantasy quarterbacks. Week 8 against Washington, 22nd. Week 9 against New England, 18th, but you can still throw on them. And then week 10 against Vegas, 32nd, which means the easiest matchup for fantasy quarterbacks. The Las Vegas Raiders love this stretch of matchups for Matt Ryan. You got to go at him now. Next up, Marcus Mariota, and Marcus Mariota, he is really starting to get comfortable with his guy, with my guy, Arthur Smith, the tremendous head coach for the Atlanta Falcons. Now, Mariota's been kind of inconsistent this year, opened the year pretty good, 24-19-21 fantasy points in the first three games, really quieted down in the next two, however... In the toughest matchup of the year, and granted, San Francisco had a couple of guys missing, especially on the defensive front. Marcus Mariota, season high, 25.5 fantasy points. 
Only 13 of 14 completions for a buck 29, but two of those 13 completions were two touchdown passes. Now, Matt, now Marcus Mariota, 9.2 yards per attempt, his second best mark of the year. He also gets it done on the ground, 6 for 50 and a touchdown rushing. That's not an, an anomaly. The week before, he had 7 for 61 on the ground. Then in week one, 12 for 72. So we know Marcus Mariota can get it done with his legs, and he's been doing it in back-to-back -back games. Now, this Falcons team, they've covered the spread in six straight games. That correlates to a winning team eventually. That happened on Sunday, and when these teams hang around games, that correlates to the fantasy football world as well. Now, I don't love his upcoming matchup against Cincinnati, but it starts to open up after Cincinnati this week. You get Carolina, you get the Chargers, you get Carolina again. Tough little road of matchups, but when you have a high-floor quarterback in Marcus Mariota, why does he have a high floor? Because he takes off and runs. He's going to bring high floor in fantasy football. They're getting healthier in terms of weapons. Kyle Pitts comes back, immediately pays dividends, getting into the end zone. Finally, outstanding rookie Drake London. They have Zacchaeus. They even have depth at tight end. Michael Pruitt scored a touchdown this past week. One of Arthur Smith's guys from Tennessee. So we know that Marcus Mariota is very much capable when he's healthy. He's been healthy. He's been taken off on the ground, and he's been scoring some fantasy points. In fact, Atlanta's one of the best scoring offenses in the NFL. If you would have told me that in the preseason, I would have thought you were nuts. But it's happening, and when you field one of the best scoring offenses, you're going to have a pretty good fantasy quarterback. Not saying Mariota's a, a weekly starter, but a tremendous bi-week replacement, a tremendous injury replacement moving forward. Let's go to the running back position. And with bye weeks and injuries, this running back position is really important on the waiver wire. When you pick somebody up, you have to hit. Mike Boone, I, I feel like I've done a show, I, I've done a, a spot on Mike Boone in like three straight waiver wire shows since Javante Williams has gone down. But it's warranted. Mike Boone is only rostered in 40% of leagues right now at Yahoo, which is absurd. Now, we only saw Mike, Do Mike Boone in one game, which was that Thursday night game against Indy. He, ha he has not played in a long time. In fact, he's going to go tonight. I'm recording this on Monday, early waiver wire pickups, and we're going to see Mike Boone tonight. And we're going to see Mike Boone tonight against the top matchup. For PPR running backs to Chargers, I love Melvin Gordon in a revenge spot to get going, but Mike Boone should also be in the mix. Why? Well, Mike Boone, 30 offensive snaps the last time we saw him sans Javante Williams. Now, we know Gordon had a lot of run, but 30 snaps still for Mike Boone, correlating to 7 for 30 and in the ground. Three of three targets for 47 yards receiving. High floor, 11.5 PPR points. Mike Boone isn't going to pop, right? Like, I don't expect this guy to, to, to win your leagues, to win your weeks. But Mike 
Boone, when he's in your lineup, he's probably not going to lose you weeks, which is what I want. Like, you want your your flex guy. You want your RB2, especially if your roster's banged up or in bye weeks. You just want a high floor. You just want 10, 12 PPR points. Just don't get me a zero. Just don't get me two or three and lose me the week. Get me 10 and let my studs win me the week. This guy, Mike Boone is the type of guy that's going to give you that high floor, especially playing on an offense with a questionable quarterback in Russell Wilson. Next up, I see a Pacheco, and 21% of leagues rostered at Yahoo right now. And this is a speculative ad. Outside of week one where Pacheco went 12 for 62 and a touchdown, 122 Fantasy points. Isaiah Pacheco has been a blip on a fantasy radar. Now week four against Tampa. 17 offensive snaps, 11 for 63 on the ground. Now, what is Pacheco really going to bring? Because he doesn't get on the field a lot. But when he does get on the field, he really flashes in terms of what this guy is capable of. He's an exceptionable pass blocker for a rookie. He's super athletic. He can catch the ball. He can run the ball. So why is this important for fantasy football? Because he is that handcuff if Clyde Edwards Hilaire goes down. He is that handcuff if the off-injured Jarek McKinnon goes down. Then we slide Pacheco in and if when Isaiah Pacheco gets an extended run and it gets extended playing time, he's that type of player that could take over this backfield and not give it back. So if you have an expendable player, if you have a deep bench, you want to go pick up Isaiah Pacheco. Here's one that blew my mind. Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake's only rostered in 4% of, 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 of Yahoo leagues. And I had a lot of Kenyon Drake coming into the season, and let's call it what it is. Kenyon Drake sucked the first couple of games. He sucked so bad without J.K. Dobbins that he was a healthy scratch in weeks three and four. Then comes back a little bit, week five against Cincinnati Bengals, four for 26 on the ground, 25 offensive snaps. Okay, well, Kenyon Drake without Justice Hill, he has a pulse, but he's not worth picking up. But for anybody that did pick up Kenyon Drake and happened to play him, which I doubt most did, but if you did last week against New York Giants, you got 19.7 fantasy points. You got the Kenyon Drake that we all fell in love with with the Miami Dolphins. 10 rushes, 119 yards, and a touchdown. One of two targets for eight yards. What the hell is going on out here? This is supposed to be J.K. Dobbins. I don't know what's wrong with J.K. Dobbins. Maybe the knee's still bothering him. Maybe the team doesn't trust him. I don't know what the hell's going on, but Kenyon Drake looks like the guy 
in this Ravens backfield, and and what do they get next week against the they get the Cleveland Browns? They are thirtieth in terms of best matchup, however you want to say it. They're they're either thirtieth or they are the third best matchup for PPR running backs. You can run all over the Cleveland Browns. Look what Ramondre Stevenson did. Look what guys have done against Cleveland all season long. Not saying Kenyon Drake's going to dominate the touches. You know, he only had 11 touches last week, but look what he did with those touches. He was uber efficient and cashed in the jackpot 19.7 PPR points. And if Kenyon Drake isn't fully healthy yet, we could expect, I mean, if J.K. Dobbins isn't fully healthy yet, we can expect Kenyon Drake to get some more run. Let's go to the wide receiver position, and let's start with Rondell Moore. And unfortunately, and it, and it sucks for a guy like me, I was all in on Marquise Brown. I was all in on the Marquise Brown breakout, and we saw it. He was a top 10 PPR wide receiver coming into the week. Unfortunately, Marquise Brown looks to be done for the rest of the year. So much done that they traded for Robbie Anderson. What the hell is Robbie Anderson, right? Like, Arizona has DeAndre Hopkins coming back. They traded for Robbie Anderson, but this kid, Rondell Moore, I wasn't a big Rondell Moore guy last year when he came out, but this season, when I'm seeing Rondell Moore play, I'm getting more and more impressed. Now, in the past two games, remember, he missed the first three games, week four against Carolina, looked a little shaky coming off the injury, but in the past two games, Rondell Moore has returned a high 10.9 PPR point floor. He is getting 62 and 70 snaps and at least 59 in each of the past three games. In the past two, however, Seven of eight targets for 68 against Philly. Six of 10 for 49 against Seattle. He's a touchdown away from probably finishing as a wide receiver two on a week. And again, no more Marquise Brown, albeit Hopkins is coming back and they traded for Robbie Anderson. I do believe Cliff Kingsbury really likes what Rondell Moore brings to the table and the schedule opens up. You get New Orleans, you get the Vikings, a little bit tougher against Seattle again, but then it opens up against the Rams at week 11, gets tougher again against San Francisco, then it really opens up again against the Chargers in week 12 before the bye week. Go get your hands on Rondale Moore if he's available in your league. And again, he's he's only rostered in 46% of leagues at Yahoo. Next up, Alec Pierce. Alec Pierce, only rostered in 38% of leagues. And Alec Pierce, I told you to pick him up last week. Alec Pierce is, in fact, getting going. Four straight games uh, with at least 9.1 PPR points, but at least 12 in each of his past three. He's had at least 49 receiving yards in four straight games. Now, in the week from weeks three to five, he's gotten you 61, 80, and 81 without a touchdown. Now, 
The receiving yards dropped to 49 this week, but he finally got into the end zone. So he's given you a high floor in four straight games at 9.1, but breaks into the double digits of in each of his past three. And what did I say about Matt Ryan earlier? The schedule is going to open up. The it's going to open up and part like the Red Sea, and that means there's going to be opportunity in production for Alec Pierce again. Tennessee, Washington, both bottom 12 matchups for PPR wide receivers, including Tennessee, the second easiest matchup for PPR wideouts. You absolutely have to. Go roster Alec Pierce right now. Tyquan Thornton, 1% of leagues, he's only rostered in. And Thornton was banged up, missed the first four games of the year. Really questionable, I believe it was a second-round pick uh, of the New England Patriots. And, and we know Patriots don't draft wide receivers well. Really doesn't do much in Week 5 against Detroit which was his NFL debut, but last week against Cleveland, 21.3 PPR points out of nowhere. Taekwon Thornton can do a little bit of everything. How much of everything? Well, he goes for four for 37 and one as a receiver. He even rushes three times for 16 yards and a touchdown. So as a receiver, Four or five targets, 37 yards and a touchdown. As a rusher, three for 16 and a touchdown. No, he's not going to give you these stat lines every week. But when you're producing for Bill Belichick, you're going to get some extended run. Only 24 offensive snaps in week five, 36 in week six. Don't be surprised. This, this upcoming matchup against the Bears, it is a very tough matchup, which means look for New England to get kind of tricky with a hybrid type of player like Tyquan Thornton. Don't be surprised if he gets back into the end zone in Week 7. I kind of like Tyquan Thornton as a speculative ad, a, a rest-of-season flex play if he's the real deal, and he certainly looked apart last week. Let's go to the final position, which is the tight end position, and let's talk about somebody else on the Patriots. And Hunter Henry, Hunter Henry was outstanding last season. He was a touchdown machine. Really wasn't even a blip on a fantasy radar for the first four games of the year. Then in week five against... Detroit, 4 for 54, 9.3 fantasy points. Uh, and then last week against Cleveland, this is the best we've seen out of Hunter Henry. And again, when you produce for Bill Belichick, you're going to see the field more. And he'll probably start getting more run than Jonu Smith because it was really split between Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. You know, it was kind of close, but last week, Against Detroit with John New Smith not healthy, Hunter Henry gets 55 snaps season high and, of course, returns his the, the best stat line of the season, 4 for 54 and 5 targets. Last week with John New Smith healthy, Hunter Henry outsnapped John New Smith 63-29. to 29. He gives us 4 of 7 targets for 61 yards and a touchdown 
Tough run of matchups against Chicago, the Jets, and it opens up against Indy. I, I don't love the matchups, but these are pretty good matchups for a guy like Hunter Henry. Why? Because the Patriots, whether it's Bailey Zapp or Mac Jones, this offense is shockingly moving the football, which means there's going to be red zone opportunities for a red zone machine like Hunter Henry. When he gets the opportunity, he's reliable, and he cashes in my final waiver wire ad at tight end. 2% of leagues, Daniel Bellinger. I told you to pick him up last week. After that Green Bay game, and it looks like nobody listened, what happened in that Green Bay game? Uh, two of three targets for 22 yards. Uh, if we go back to even weeks two and three, eight and uh, 8.6 and 8 uh, PPR points. He's had stat lines of one of one targets for 16 yards and a touchdown week two against Carolina. Then he goes four or five for 40 against, against Dallas quiets down then in, in green Bay in London, uh, two of three targets for 22 yards. And he has that rushing touchdown. Now he is starting to really get going last week against Baltimore season high, 58 snaps season high. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.